the Dynasty Bulls Podcast. Nick Hales is a rescue partner, and Joshua Johnson is here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build foundation. This is the Dynasty Bulls, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. Welcome to the Dynasty Tools Podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale for the Redskins Legs. What is up, Nick? Oh, not much, Josh. I'm fueled up on a traditional Hawaiian breakfast with iced coffee and musubi. Are you familiar with musubi? Delicious. Uh, I am. Right? <laughs> right and spam wrapped in seaweed. It's so good. How is your morning going? All right. Played a little roller hockey. Now I'm just showered and ready to go for the day. Uh, anyway, we have a tremendous show for you today, as always. We had to we had to go all out after trying to top last week's show, having Dan and Alan on. So, of course, we got Mr. Bill Serby coming up later. Excuse me, that's Sir Bill Serby. Uh, very happy to have the content director here on staff uh, to shed some light on a few things with us today. That should be uh, very good and uh Bill is not only the man, one of the men in charge, but I'm also honored, honored to call him my friend. So I'm glad glad to have Bill on today. A uh, few things that we're going to talk about. Um, got a big style dynasty dilemma coming out today. We pit a couple of Redskins against each other. That should be uh, very interesting, considering some recent comments by another by a Redskin. Uh, we're going to talk. Um, about some camp battles, some position battles going on. Bill's going to give us some high-stakes action. I'll talk a little bit about uh, startup philosophy and how to build a dynasty, Um, the art of drafting a third running back. We'll call that the Gio Bernard story. Bill's going to give us some sleepers. We'll talk a little redraft strategy. Of course, some dynasty trade analysis. Uh, Get into our August rankings and see what stuck out to us. Questions from the forum, and of course, Nick is going to rant. And then we also had a speed bump that Alan posted this week that was just way too good to not talk about. It's, we talk, we'll put Odell Beckham, Julius, Ju, excuse me, Julio Jones, not Julius Jones, and uh, Demarius Thomas. A couple, three big name wide receivers there against each other. Next week, we have former, excuse me, retired NFL wide receiver J.J. Burden joining us. Uh, he has a book out um, about taking advantage of opportunities, so we'll get into that book and obviously have a little chance to ask him about his playing career as well. So very happy to have a former NFL player on. Uh, that should be uh, good stuff. Um, got a whole month planned out for you already after that as we're going to have Chuck Podeski on the following week as we get ready to talk some Vegas odds for the upcoming season. Uh, Chris Ransom is going to stop by the following week after that as we talk about uh, fantasy busts for the year. And then uh, Mike Krasick's coming by the following week as we do some uh, sleeper action. So uh, we've got a full month already out planned out for you. So uh, 
hope Nick's getting ready for that as in so as am I. But anyway, uh let's let's hear what uh we can, DFW can do for you if you purchase that membership. DynastyFootballWarehouse.com is very excited to announce our Insider Membership. For just $29.99 per year, you get the Insider Membership plus our Rookie Draft Kit. Insider Membership itself is $24.99, just the Rookie Guide is $9.99. DFW is where Dynasty Football is a way of life. You can dominate your league for only $2 a month. Membership includes all access to Insider Articles, Dynasty, Redraft, Daily, IDP, which is over a thousand articles per year, up to three a day on average. Includes Dynasty expert rankings, updated monthly, average draft position data, 2015 projections, in-season weekly rankings and management, rookie draft room, and so, so much more. 24-7 access to DFW staff via email for roster management advice, trades, drafts, rebuilds, waivers, Commission assistance, advice for bylaws, scoring, and set up on new leagues on MLF. The 2015 Rookie Guide is $10 a la carte or $5 when bundled with the Insider Membership with the PDL emailed to you. Expanded in 2015 to include more players, the Top 10 IDP, all crisply summarized with keynotes on every player and their background, main stats, strengths, weaknesses, and key college stats. 143 skill position, 106-page PDF, 41,000 words of rookie insight, plus 100 hours of research analyzed and boiled down for your NFL draft day enjoyment. Combines all recaps from skill positions at the combine, includes guide along updates after the NFL draft, adjustments made through training camp and preseason. All three membership options will get you entered into the multiple DFW contests and giveaways. Each will enter you into a, a raffle for a brand new iPod, which will be given away during halftime of Super Bowl 50 via third-party security raffle. You will get entry into DFW Week 1 free roll tournament on FanDuel or DraftKings, where you, the winner will receive $200. You will also gain entry into the DFW Survivor Contest, where... Over the course of the 2015 season, the last team standing will also receive $200. Again, very excited to introduce the DFW Insider Membership, just $30 a year. flying through uh, some some you can choose to believe uh, for what it is some of it's uh, very real uh, surprise surprise Darren McFadden and Marion Foster are already hurt I know that's uh, a big surprise to many uh, but uh, it appears Nick that Tim Tebow is going to make the Eagles and rumors out of camp is they have a role for him what, what do you think that's all about well, yeah, there's uh, news that he's going to play a lot this season, and I think he is going to play a lot, you know, especially those first four games. The ones that season ticket holders are forced to buy tickets for those preseason games. But, you know, I mean, come on. If Tebow sees much regular season action, I've got to retract all public support of Chip Kelly. I've always been on his side. I think he's a genius. But if he plays Tebow a lot, uh, no, no, scratch that. 
So, but you know, now watch. Since I am and always have been kind of a Tebow mocker, this is December 26th in Week 16, the championship week for most fantasy leagues. Watch Philadelphia be at home versus Washington. They'll be 13 and one, already clinched home field. So Tebow will start that week, have 200 yards rushing, and throw for six touchdowns. Anybody who has them in a best ball league will win an easy championship. <laughs> uh, I hope they bring back the uh, the Tebow heave. You know, where he would stand in the in the pistol formation and take one step towards the line and just flip it to somebody in, in, in the end zone. I love that ball. Love that play. Um, but anyway, speaking of your Washington Redskins, uh, they went out inside Mr. Junior Galette. Um, who does that spell doom for Nick? Is it Trent Murphy, Preston Smith, or is it just bad news for Eli Manning and the rest of the quarterbacks in this division? Well, I think everything you said there is true. Of course, it's going to stunt the growth of the young linebackers, uh, Murphy and Preston Smith, but team uh, maybe was listening to us and how we've been talking, and everybody at DFW has been talking about how pass rushers take time to develop. So I guess they went and got another ready-to-play guy in Junior Gillette. But if you look at the big pitchers there in Washington, Gillette's got the one-year deal. Terrence Knight and Potros, the one-year deal. Alfred Morris is in the last year of his contract. Griffin and Garcon both could be expendable salary cap-wise after this year. You know, if this team doesn't post a winning record, there's going to be a lot of new faces come 2016, among them probably head coach Jay Gruden. Yep, they could be breaking up the shit completely after this year. Um, hopefully that means they'll have the first overall pick. I don't I don't wish that in on anybody, but uh, it's certainly something to uh, to look forward to. So... Um, we do have Bill on the phone here, so let's patch him through. Again, it is uh, Sir William Servey, the man in charge of content here at DFW. How you, how's it going, Bill? Excellent. How are you guys doing today? Very good, Bill. Very happy happy to have you aboard. Um, I think i got to apologize to you. I think last week in the podcast teaser for your upcoming appearance, I wrote – Content Ninja. I don't know why. I'm just trying to give you an extra nickname there. But when I read read, read it back, it sounded like you, that you were maybe a content ninja. Um, I don't think you are a ninja of any sort. But uh, <laughs> that's, very uh, that's true. why I just call. It, yeah, that's why I just call you Sir William Servey. And I guess if you're a ninja at something, it's it's writing because I just got done reading your article from yesterday. Uh, uh, it's good stuff. Good stuff there, Bill. So thank you. Um, well, we, Always happy to have Bill aboard. Um, like I said, he's he does a lot here at DFW. I don't really need to get into it, but uh, very very important person here, and obviously he's got some uh, good knowledge to spread and some great opinions as well. Um, now, you wanted to talk about some high stakes wizardry that you are involved in, Bill. So why don't you just why don't you just share that with us here to start it out? Um, I don't know about high-stakes wizardry. just thought maybe that we should cover a little bit of high-stakes fantasy football um, for some people out there that have always thought about doing it and maybe didn't. Um, just a few pointers on what they should look for when they're looking to play these leagues, a little bit about a couple of the different leagues. Um, but basically, I started playing fantasy football, uh, high-stakes fantasy football, back in 2003 in the old WCOFF and pretty much have watched the sport evolve. Um, and seen some good things and bad things in the industry. The, in fact, WCOFF was started by some great owners 
uh, back in the day, and they ended up selling the entire franchise, and they ended up stiffing quite a few owners in the long run um, under the new ownership. So it's really important uh, that you actually research the company and the, um, the website that's going to be sponsoring the site. Most of the time, they'll offer a, a bond of some sort to guarantee payment and guarantee your money. Um, so that's really important, and I think that's the most important thing when you're taking a look at these leagues. Um, the FFPC is one of the leagues that I play in every year. Um, it's a pays out $300,000 to the overall winner. Um, it offers $7,000 to the league winner of 12. Um, the buy-in is around $1,700 a year, and I've had pretty good success in that. I've won my league two of the last three years. Um, I've been in the top 50 coming down the stretch for the 300K, but um, ended up having a couple of bad luck weeks where you just lay an egg and you end up out of the money. I ended up in the top 200 book both of those years. But um, you know, you basically have to just pick your league very carefully. And then there's another good one that's called FFWC, um, the FF Toolbox and Scout.com. Scott Atkins is one of the most respected names in high-stakes fantasy football. Uh, they run a really interesting league. They don't pay as much on the progressive jackpot. It's around the same buy-in of around $17.25. Um, it pays out $150,000 for first place but, um, for overall and grand prize. But if you win your league of 12, you actually win $10,000. So it's actually taken a little bit more towards the individual league prizes, which I believe are around 12500 total um, for each league. So there's quite a few chances to win your money back and then make some serious money. Okay, and if that, that name sounds familiar to you, we did have Scott on uh, back in late uh, July, to talk, excuse me, late June to talk about the, uh, actually it was July, I'm sorry, I think it was July 1st, to talk about the uh, Dynasty Football World Championships, and they also have, a couple other contests there, as Bill, as Bill talked about there too. So uh, absolutely, that was high, good. high roller stuff. Go ahead. Yeah, that was going to be my next point. Scott Atkins is the Dynasty Football World Championships that he's running. These are leagues are only two hundred and ninety nine dollars. Um, they have a lot of progressive prizes. It's fifteen hundred dollars if you win your league. So um, they have a great ratio for their payouts, um, and they're one of the better sites. You can always trust anything that Scott Atkins is involved in. So that's a great Dynasty um, league, and it's ongoing. They actually pay. I think it's two thousand dollars if you become a Dynasty and win more than one year. I don't know the specifics, but uh, you can visit scout.com to take a look at those. Uh, and again, Scott Atkins is a class. Act. Anything he runs, you know, is going to be run right. Um, and then some of the other things that are really important with uh, high-stakes fantasy football is to make sure you know your rules, roster requirements, league schedule, waiver wire system, and the scoring like the back of your hand. Um, you really need to know all the ins and outs of this before you go into your draft. And then next, you need to really be prepared for your draft because these people in these leagues are sharks. Some of them invest tens of thousands of dollars in these entry fees and they've been doing this for 10 years. You're usually on the clock for 90 seconds to two minutes, and whether you're in Vegas or at your computer, um, you need to think quick because you will be sniped every single round. Your guys will be taken because, um, again, there's no weak links in these leagues. Um, and I don't want to go on too much more in detail, but there's just a couple of quick pointers if you do get into these leagues to make sure that you're extremely active early in the season with your free agency money. Um, I watch people every year hoard their money hoping to land a, a mid-season waiver wire gem when, you know, last year I picked up Justin Forsett in the first couple weeks and, you know, he paid out well. Um, and, you know, you just pick, I didn't even need him. I ended up drafting Eddie Lacy, Le'Veon Bell, and Sean McCoy as my, uh, McCoy as my three running backs and I ended up getting Forsett and waivers. But, you know, only for 100 bucks out of the thousands, so 10% of your budget. But don't be afraid to spend your money early because if you lose four, if you lose four games in an 11-game season, you're out of it. You're never going to cash any money, so don't be afraid to spend your money early and be active. 
And then the last little tip would be to make sure your weekly matchup decisions, they're huge. I've seen people win hundreds of thousand dollars um, just because of a fraction of a point. So every point is huge in these. So make sure you spend your time on your matchups every week and use every resource that you're available to you. Okay, yeah, certainly certainly good good knowledge and advice there. Uh, yeah, that's maybe a little bit beyond me at this point, but uh, something to shoot for, I guess you would say. Um, well, you know, they have different levels. You can enter at two, $300 per season, but I look at it as an investment. If you're confident in your skills and your knowledge of the game, um, you know, you go into it with expectations, and if you, you know, do your homework and you draft well, you should have a pretty good chance of giving it a run for it, but everybody has to judge their own risks, and, you know, it's a hobby for everyone, so you just got to figure out what level you want to be at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick, any questions? Are you just writing writing a seventeen hundred dollar check, or what do you got? <laughs> I was curious how many people are in the uh, league where you win three hundred thousand dollars if you're the top okay. overall. I think the FFPC had right around nine hundred to a thousand entries last year, um, so I think that was the total amount. I don't know off the top of my head um, exactly what the number was. Actually, it could have been more. It might have been closer to seventeen hundred. I'm sorry, I'm not prepared on that number. I don't have it off the top of my head. Usually what you do, the way the leagues run, is you win your league of 12, and if you're finishing one of the top two positions, you get into the progressive round starting in round uh, in week 12. So it's an 11-week season. Um, they crown a champion, and then you either make the, cha- the playoff rounds or you don't. You can even make the playoff rounds through the consolation, um, and that's where you go for the big progressive jackpots. Okay, yeah, good. Good, good stuff there, Bill. Um, and speaking of being sniped, I, I think that was gonna how I was gonna introduce you, but then the ninja thing came to mind. And I, and I guess I just look at it as me, me and you being very smart individuals, Bill. But anytime, anytime we're in a mock with you, I can guarantee, like, you know, sometimes I'll go preset my next round after my draft, and sure enough, your next pick, you take the guy that I put in the preset. So, but like I said, it's it's flattering to know that there's another smart person out there. So. I, Oh yeah, our mock drafts are filled with quality drafters. So there, yeah, we usually have everybody snipes everybody all the way around. So it's really good practice for your upcoming drafts. Uh yeah. And if you you know if you want to get into one of those, just uh, just email email the masthead there, and Bruce will Bruce will get you involved. It's it's great stuff. I mean, I think, geez, we started them what in March, and I, we've been doing them all summer long. It seems kind of re- seems kind of ridiculous when you just try to tell somebody that, but. I, I think, you know, by the time my redraft is is ready to go here in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be certainly ready. And it's just, you just have the expectation and the knowledge of who's going to be there when. And, you know, sometimes, you know, some players are just extremely undervalued and, you know, you know, you can go get them, you know, you can wait on somebody. It, yeah. It's, it's just, just general football stuff. I mean, you just, you just know, it's just, it's, it's hard to explain, but if you do, you know, if you do over, I think I'm over 60 of them now. If you do over that many of them, you you really know how how things are going to work, and you you couldn't be better prepared for your your big time draft, so you can you know feed all your family members or whatever it is. So uh, absolutely, all of the it takes all of the worry out of your pick. You're calm and cool. You're on the clock immediately. Then you can start psychologically taking advantage of people if you're at a live draft. So that the second that you're on the clock, you make your pick immediately, especially in Vegas in these big drafts. If you do that to teams, it'll really rattle people, especially if you're on the ends. Um, so, you know, be prepared. It's just a reflex at that point. You've made every single decision throughout the entire offseason with player choices, and you know exactly who you want. 
Mm-hmm. Find them. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're listening to the Dynasty Pulse podcast with Nick and Josh, and we are have the enormous pleasure to have Bill Servi along with us, uh, content director and one of the owners here at uh, uh, DFW. So we're we're uh, we're sitting with uh, royalty like we had last week with Alan and Dan. I, I said that when we started, Bill. We had to we had to up one up that last week's show. So of course we have you, uh, and I'm sure Dan will probably want to come back next week now. But uh, you know how it goes. So. Uh, very, very happy to have you aboard. Uh, why don't we talk a little startup philosophy? Uh, Nick, why don't you start us out there? We're talking dynasty here. So, what, what, what are, you, what are your main goals here? And in, in this, in, when you're doing the startup dynasty draft? Well, you know, it all depends on where you're drafting and uh, what a uh, how the draft falls to you. Really, normally I like to try to build long term. You know, kind of admit that I'm not going to win in the first year or two. But if certain guys fall into your lap, I mean, you just can't pass with thinking them. Uh, in one draft, and this is a bad example now as of uh, yesterday, but uh, Arian Foster fell to me at the end of the fifth round in the start. Oh. I couldn't pass that up. <laughs> it kills oh. me now, of course. But <laughs> indulgences. <laughs> Uh yeah, um, I totally agree with you there, Nick. There, uh, when I'm doing a startup, I I I honestly don't care about year one. I'm trying to. I mean, it's great to win that first year, that first inaugural year of a league, but I would rather have you know my team set up to win you know two to three championships in a row. If I if I am so lucky and the chips fall that way, just don't care about year one. I I think that's I think that's a smart way to go. Um. I mean, obviously, it's fun to like I said, fun to fun to win whenever it is. But uh, I think you're better off just really building for the future. Um, I want to I want a nucleus of players that are all going to be peaking at the same time. That's that's one thing I really could that you you know it's there's certainly differences in you know running back age as opposed to wide receiver age. Um, I'm in a a best ball offense only dynasty league. And I, my oldest running back in that league is uh, Andre Ellington. And now all my other running backs are either second year guys or rookies. So I, I look at it as, you know, Ellington is as he enters year four, depending on how he does this year, obviously I can hopefully trade him for some picks or get, and get some younger running backs. I think I'm going to be, and like I said, it's a best ball. So it doesn't matter that I have a whole bunch of them. Obviously that's a little different philosophy there, but I can, can always get the, the best out of those young guys and you know receivers on the flip are you know you you're they're going to have like a nice five to eight year window if you pending they stay healthy to where they're going to have be very solid players so it's it's nice to grab those guys early as well the running backs it's it's, it's certainly a different animal um uh second year players are, are sometimes more valuable than most rookies especially when you consider their adp you know everybody there's this unknown factor but everybody has their opinions about how these rookies are going to do um but second year players that maybe didn't do a whole lot the year before could certainly uh fly under the radar i especially feel like that was about idp guys who you know maybe like those nick said earlier the pass rushers take a little bit longer to develop uh you know guys like timmy jernigan coney ely those guys could potentially be very very good players uh kinesis marsh is another one in seattle that uh i'm I'm excited about he's he's really fringe a fringe type of player in deeper deeper IDP formats but you got you want to get those guys uh, with a great with a great value and not have to spend a whole bunch of waiver dollars on them when they when they become a starter. Um, I also try to do like a combination wide receiver, uh, running back 
quarterback in the first three rounds. Um, you know, some people are totally against drafting the quarterback in the first round, and some people in dynasty, especially want wide receivers. I'm just looking at best value there. Uh, I got, I have no problem taking Andrew Luck, uh, 1.1, or you know, obviously anywhere beyond that, beyond that. I, I think that's worth it if you're going to do that with the quarterback. He's certainly worth worth that pick. And that's certainly a he's certainly a special case. You know, if you miss on Luck and Rogers, it's okay to wait three or four rounds and take a guy like you know Big Ben or or Matt Ryan. Um, uh, I also have no problem mixing in a Gronk or a Travis Kelsey or if it's an IDT league like a Luke Keighley or Levante David in those first three or four rounds because if you want you want to have a top IDP player, obviously JJ Watt's another guy out there. You want to have a top IDP player, you need you need to grab them in the first four rounds. Unfortunately, that's just how it goes. Um, and, and you can build with younger wide receivers later if you if you go Watt over over a stud wide receiver early. Um, and I also think it's I think it's okay to kind of give in to the position runs. We me and Nick really saw that in our 16 team league, where you know, like almost every quarterback, you know, like the top 20 quarterbacks went off the board in like rounds five to eight after the top ten were gone. Um, but uh, like Bill said earlier, if you're at the end of a round and then you had that first pick the next one, it's also a lot more fun to maybe start those runs. It's fun if, you know, there's, you know, just to take a couple running backs and see what happens and then maybe set yourself up to have a nice, nice receiver with your next pick or maybe two receivers with your next pick and start another run there with a the position wise. So I love being in that position. And obviously you got to, it's just luck of the draw with some of these starters, but uh, certainly, certainly something that's that's fun to do is start those player runs. Bill, what what are, what are your thoughts? How do you build the dynasty? I think you guys touched on a lot of the great points that you know are important. But John, Nick had mentioned a couple things that are real important. You know, knowing your rules, knowing your roster requirements, knowing where you're drafting from, having a rough idea of an ADP. Um, of how the draft possibly could fall out. But, you know, you really have to be flexible in these drafts. You know, my ideal would be to build around wide receivers because, like you mentioned, Josh, they're much more stable in the box score and they have a longer career, so they're a lot easier to build your um, team around. But, you know, if you're drafting in a player like Bell falls to you at incredible value at, like, in the bottom of the first round, you just have to be flexible be willing to move around. I always try to win every year. I hear what you guys are saying about drafting for the future um, and a lot of extent with the depth you, I do that, but I tend to try to um, be a little bit more aggressive and sometimes I'll take some of the older vets um, because I'm looking at Dynasty with a shorter term possibly two to three years because player values are so different. Look at Odell Beckham Jr. last year. I mean, he was probably, what, the eighth or ninth receiver drafted. Um, guys like you couldn't touch Mike Evans. You couldn't touch Sammy Watkins. And now you could get any one of those for Odell Beckham. So, you know, when you draft, keep that in mind. It's going to be a year-to-year value swing. Um, so, you know, when you're looking at these players, somebody like Vincent Jackson and Larry Fitzgerald, they're not very attractive for dynasty purposes um, to most people. But, you know, if you look at them with a one- to two-year ceiling, they're more than perfect uh, one-year um, fill-ins. In fact, Dan Hines has a great article coming out uh, that's just basically on that article. is based on that idea as well. Um, and then for as far as what you guys touched about is um, it, trading for the future, I'm not a big trading uh, advocate. I think that you should build your team through the draft. <clears throat> too many teams make too many trades where they're churning and burning players, and unless you're really sharp, and there's a few of them in the DFW 48, but most of the time that'll really wreck your team. So hoard your draft picks. Try to add draft picks 
um, draft wisely in your um, rookie drafts. Make sure you do all the research at DFW or any site that you you know you go to, and then just build your team through the draft in subsequent years. But start off with a real solid core. I don't like drafting quarterbacks early. You'll never see me draft a quarterback early. I'm a huge proponent of uh, streaming quarterbacks. I think that you can get top, you know, seven, eight production out of two guys that are, if you pair them correctly and their schedules are matched up. So I would rather waste my first, second, third, fourth, fifth round picks on running backs and receivers um, and then, you know, go ahead and make do with quarterback. Um, and that way I'm just, that's just a philosophy that I use. I really do that in my redrafts. I won't even take quarterbacks usually until round 10 or beyond um, when in these high stakes leagues. So. Um, you know, that's just my personal philosophy. There's no really one way to do it. Every draft is different, and you just have to be flexible and really keep that player in mind when you're on the clock and not necessarily youth. Yeah, I love I love the point in startups when, you know, like you're round 15 and you maybe have all your positions covered, and then you can just go, okay, I can go like best player on the board as far as I'm concerned for the next five rounds. I love being at that point because there's certainly, you know, certainly – perception is a lot is a lot key there and it's going to be different from player to player so there's certain guys that i can i know they're going to be there post round 15 and uh i have no problem adding them because i know i know that they're the best player available it's a, it's a nice time to get up to that point and and i totally hear what you're saying too about mixing in the veterans you can't just have a super young team because you know you could be terrible for two years and maybe that's what you want but also also, there will, will come point, you know, years down the road where your team is super old, and you you need to you need to. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you're going to get rookies every year, but if you have a young team going into next year, we're going to have those seven rookie picks, and where are you going to put them? You know, your roster could be chopped with all these young guys that you don't want to cut. You know, if you mix in like Bill said, a guy like Vincent Jackson or Larry Fitzgerald, you know, two years from now they're going to be retired, maybe. And then you, you, uh, yeah, yeah, your team takes takes a hit, but you you already have that young receiver that you drafted, you know, post round fifteen that's going to fill in for him. So you, you got to you got to understand how that's going to play out, you know, in the next and the next, uh, like Bill said, with those three with that three year window, it's got to you can't have too many too many young guys. Obviously, you don't want to have too many vets either, but uh, you're always going to be adding rookies every year too. So uh, good good. Good points there by everybody. Um, now, I tried to accuse you, Bill, of being a huge Gio Bernard fan, and you're just, you know, you just told me it's kind of a best player available type of thing, but I do notice that you've taken him in a handful of mocks that we've been in. And that kind of got me thinking about, uh, you know, and you said he's usually your third your third running back or sometimes fourth, but it got me thinking about the art of drafting that third running back. Obviously, these are guys that are maybe like post-round six, uh, we'll say. What 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 are, what are your philosophies there, Bill, in, in terms of getting your third running back, and what type of situation are you looking for there? Well, again, it pretty much varies if we're doing dynasty or redraft. But um, you know, I'm BPA pretty much at every single pick of my draft. Usually, um, like the perfect example was my draft in the FFPC, the high stakes league last year. Um, we drafted the Sunday after the first Thursday game. Um, I was on the clock. I think I had one three. I took LaShawn McCoy. You know, that was the pick. Coming back around, Eddie Lacy had fallen all the way to the second round because um, he had had a horrible first week, um, I believe. I think that was the case. But he fell all the way to the second round, so I took him. Then coming back around, you know, this is a receiver-heavy league, but Le'Veon Bell was sitting there in the third round. 
So I took Le'Veon Bell in the third round. So I ended up starting three straight um, running backs where normally I would start, you know, I drafted my third running back in the third round. So, you know, it, it really varies on the best player available. But normally in dynasty leagues, you know, I'm looking to fill at least two or three wide receivers to get my starters in the bag uh, before I'm starting to look for a running back three. Unless, you know, again, significant value falls to you and you just have to scrap your plan and just go at that point. Okay. I like Geo just it seems to fall continually. I think that Gio is being, you know, I still think he's going to be a, close to a 200-touch running back and should be a top 24 to 30 running back regardless. Sorry. Yeah. The, no, you're you're totally right. I, I, I'm a big fan of Jeremy Hill because I'm an owner of him, but I, I, also, I also know that I can't expect that he's going to dominate like he did last year. Teams are certainly going to be ready for him, and they're going to have to mix and match, and they can't overload him with uh, with work either. That's certainly not the case. Uh, Nick, what are, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I would love to have Giovanni Bernard as a third running back. And you know, like Bill said, you just got to go best player available in your drafts. And uh, In Dynasty Leagues especially, you said that you'd want to get at least your top two starting receivers before a third running back. I would probably go even farther than that. I'd want to have a tight end and probably a quarterback and you know a couple IDP guys if it was that style format before I drafted the third running back in Dynasty formats. Well, and it's nice to, you know, get those guys who you think are, you know, your top running backs and then, you know, fill it in, especially in the dynasty with uh, with some younger guys. That way you're not in that constant battle every week about uh, about who to start, certainly. So, uh, Bill, any more thoughts there on that matter? No, I think you guys pretty much hammered everything there. Again, you just have to be flexible, go with your draft, and I agree with Nick. I wait a little bit longer on my quarterback, and especially tight end this year. I think there's a lot of value later on in the tight end, but, um, yeah, I can see his point there. But I would usually always get my one and two running back in whatever my starting receiver requirements, two or three, before I would look for my third running back normally. Well, and kind of one thing that I look at is maybe the the big deciding factor for my third guy is uh, – is uh, receptions, you know, throughout their career, or, or their, what that their role is going to be in the offense, and that's why Gio's a good guy, a good case. I mean, I think you know if people are predicting what he's going to do this year, fully healthy, I think everybody would say he's going to catch at least fifty balls. And if you have a guy that you know you can use to fill in your bye weeks, or you know that you have to use because one of your top two guys got injured, it's it's nice to have that that uh, guy that catches balls out of the backfield, you know. I know I hammer him home, and I know he's getting he seems to be getting two years older every year, but uh you know Fred Jackson has been a guy like that for the last handful of years that you know I've had to use him in pinches and he he doesn't he doesn't score those twenty five point weeks, but he you know he's gonna get you eight to twelve points and if you can depend on that every week it works it's not sexy, but you can just you know automatically fill it in that he's not gonna kill your team he's gonna he's gonna get you know five to six receptions. It's, it's, it's nice to have that. I'm not saying you should draft Fred Jackson this year as your third running back. I'm just using him as an example of, uh, of what he can do for you, what he, what he can do for you as that, as that role in that offense. And certainly that's the team's going to be a lot different this year with the new head coach and whatnot. So um, Bill wanted to talk about overvalued players. So I thought it'd be fun to maybe just go around here as we, just do like maybe one at each position. So, Bill, who who is your overvalued quarterback right now? Okay, for the overrated teams, I try, I try to get players that were taken in the first, you know, five to seven rounds. So, um, but the quarterback that I picked was Cam Newton. 
Um, it's a really hard call, but, you know, I try to keep it amongst the top ten quarterbacks. My main issue with Cam Newton is just his inconsistency with week-to-week production. Um, you know, he'll have good weeks, and then he'll have absolute stinkers that just leaves you probably with a loss that week because he put up 12 points. So um, I'm hopeful that Newton will rebound a little bit more this year. Last year, if you remember, he was struggling with an ankle issue before the season even started. There was a lot of turmoil. They had no running back or receiver situation was dismal. Um, and they had offensive line issues. So hopefully Newton's looking better this year. But still, um, his inconsistency with his passing touchdowns, which may improve with Funchess and, uh, this year, but still he's my pick for overrated just because of the inconsistency. Uh, this is one that I had a real hard time pinpointing. And, and I hear what you're saying about the top 10, top ten quarterbacks. Uh, but I, I kind of went a little deeper, and I just tried to look at maybe like situation and, and moving forward. And I went, um, I went Philip Rivers, and I and he's a guy that I have a lot of respect for, even though I'm a Raiders fan. Uh, I just he seems to be a guy that really seems to slip every year in drafts. And I know like it's been a few years in my redraft reason where he hasn't gotten drafted at all, and not too many people go up, go a couple, two quarterbacks on everybody does that. So that's why maybe he slips through the cracks sometimes. But, um, and that is by far not an expert league at all. So it's just, just an example. Uh, but I just feel like this year, especially, I think they're, and I know some people are, are going to totally disagree with me, but I think they're going to really want to establish Melvin Gordon as their, their player for the future there. And I think, I feel like Melvin's going to get over 200, maybe 250 carries in that offense I just feel like he's that's that's what they're wanting to do with wanting to do with him you also got to look at the fact that he's not going to have Antonio Gates to start the year um they they did bring in Stevie Johnson but they didn't do a whole lot to improve their wide receiver core they have Malcolm Floyd they have they had weapons you know obviously with Keenan Allen and whatnot but I feel like uh Gates is not going to be that there that to be that nice safety belt for him. And they already talked about restricting his snaps coming into the season. And there's the whole issue with them moving and, you know, Phillip Rivers is almost traded. And I just, I just don't like that situation there this year. So uh, he's, he's a player I'm going to avoid. And he's obviously a quarterback that you can get late, but I just feel like, I feel like where I see him going is, is not really, really a good spot. And I, and I would certainly lean towards a guy like, and I know I feel like I'm in the 1% here being an Andy Dalton fan, but how many quarterbacks have gotten their teams to the playoffs the last four years? What, whatever you want to say about him, that's fine. I, I totally agree with you, and I'll disagree with some other stuff. But he still has A.J. Green. He has an improving Muhammad Sanu. Uh, you know, if Tyler Eifert could actually walk on the field and not trip and hurt himself, they, they could be in good shape there. they got two great running backs around him. I'd rather go with a guy like Dalton. Or even a guy like Jay Cutler, and, and and I know that's certainly another. He's certainly another polarizing figure. But he's got Elshon Jeffrey, he's got Kevin White, he's got a massive tight end up the middle, and Martellus Bennett. Uh, Matt Forte's no slouch either. So I, I I would certainly lean towards guys like that who are really slipping in drafts before I would take a Philip Rivers there. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts? Um, well, I 
my first thought is I would not take Jay Cutler over. I don't think anybody right now, but uh, as far as my overrated quarterback, I'm going to have to go with Russell Wilson. Right now he's DFW's quarterback number three. I know he's only 26, and now he's got Jimmy Graham to throw to, but that's still too high for me. He's ranked over Cam Newton, who I actually am a little higher on than Bill. So let's compare Cam Newton to Russell Wilson. Uh, Wilson's never had 3,500 yards in a season, whereas Newton's done that twice. Uh, Wilson has run more and more each year. Last year he had 118 carries for almost 850 yards and six scores. I think that's one of the biggest reasons he's ranked so high. But he's only got 11 career rushing touchdowns, and Cam Newton had three more than that in his rookie season alone and has 19 rushing touchdowns in the three years since. Uh, he's also only 26, and I worry a little bit about Russell Wilson after Marshawn Lynch retires. Can he carry a team without the threat of a top five running back behind him? Because we know that Cam Newton can. We've seen him do that, but we haven't seen that from Wilson yet. Hmm. Very, very good points there. Um, I think uh, I think they're building around uh, uh, Russell Wilson. But I, I I hear what you're saying too. I, I've taken him in some mocks, you know, like in the third or sometimes fourth round. And I, and I do it just because that's kind of what I like to do is fill out those top positions first. But I don't feel great about it. Um, Bill, who do you got for us for running back? Again, I try to keep in the first five rounds for the overrated players for the running backs. Um, I actually had two. Well, I'll just uh, the main one is Andre Ellington. Justin Forsett is also on my list. If you read my article yesterday, um, Ellington to me just defies logic. The support for Ellington. Um, if you look at his injury history going back to college, I mean he's continually hurt. Um, I keep hearing noise coming out of Arizona that they want to try to get him 20 touches a game. Um, all this talk is out there, and I know the coaches do that to sell tickets and they try to build value and confidence in their players, but I can tell you right now, there's no way Andrew Ellington ever makes it 20 carries a season. Um, he's definitely never going to stay healthy for that, and he's not actually a, a quality running back if you look at his yards per carry from last year. Um, he just isn't. I think it was 3.3 yards per carry, but um, you know they need a different running back, and David Johnson is just that. David Johnson and will bounce Andre Ellington by the end of the year. Ellington is going to be a poor man's geo next year just based on um, David Johnson's workload. He's built to carry the, the carries. He can handle a 300-touch season. You know, he's got the speed, the size, the hands. He's going to win it out. And then Forsett, real quickly, Forsett for me, you know, he's been on five different teams in seven years. I doubt that he had this hidden skill set that nobody saw. Um, he played behind one of the best O-lines in the game last year. But um, Buck Allen was handpicked by new OC Mark Cressman. Um, and if you look at Forsett's receiving numbers from last year, yes, he had a lot of catches, but he was number 143 out of 144 players um, with six yards per catch. So when you add up the fact that Allen was picked by Trestman, I could really see Allen starting to work his way. He's bigger, faster, stronger, runs harder between the tackles. I just don't see any way that Forsett by the end of the year is, is the bell cow that people are expecting. I mean, I've heard good fantasy people talking about 80 catches or 90 catches Forsett. Um, and, you know, and if you look at that six yards per catch last year, I mean, that would just be a travesty when they've got a much better running back that's built to do that. Yeah, I totally agree with you there on Forsett. And, and I think they'll realize his uh, his age and, you know, he's going to take, you know, once he starts taking a, a beating on those on those little swing passes and gets, you know, dropped for it, losses the yards, that's when they're going to work, work Buck Allen into the mix. Um, I went a, just a little bit deeper, and, and I still just think it's a travesty when I see somebody take 
Jonathan Stewart in the round six or seven. I just feel bad for them. I'm just like, have they no idea? I mean, he can't cough and not injure himself. I just, I, I, and actually before this, I wrote down Aaron Foster and then I crossed it out and said, oh, no, that's too easy. I dog, I dog Foster already. And then of course tore his groin or whatever happened yesterday. But uh, yeah, I just don't get people just having faith in Jonathan Stewart. I know it's sixth or seventh round. And it's maybe a second or third running back situation, but uh, I just I can't get behind it at all. I mean, yes, he's been a very very good running back when he's been healthy, but you know how many games has he missed over the course of his career? Now he's 27, 28 years old. I just I can't get behind it. You know, maybe after round 10, but I just I just just don't see it at all. I just I don't see the value in taking him in the first you know eight rounds. Nick, what do you got for us? Overrated running back is uh, C.J. Anderson. Right now, DFW is running back number 10. Uh, the Denver backfield has been impossible to decipher since Terrell Davis retired, it seems like. And now you're asking me to buy a running back who's only had half of a good season, who's now playing in a different offensive scheme than they had last year. You know, I, I was low on Monty Ball last year because of the committee situation there in Denver, and I'm, I'm not buying Anderson for as high as he's going this year. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can, I can agree with that, especially since they have two other weapons there. What are your thoughts on Anderson, Bill? Um, I actually have a complete opposite. I actually like Jonathan Stewart's value in round six and seven, uh, just because you know while he's healthy, you know he's going to be in the game. He's going to be seeing a lot of touches. You have to worry about him when they get near the goal line. But he's dirt cheap to cuff Cameron Artis Payne. You can get much later in drafts. So again, like you had mentioned when you said that it's a value play, but everybody's value is subjective. And as far as C.J. Anderson, um, you know I started off a couple months ago a little skeptical on C.J. Anderson, but the more research I've done and the more reading I've done on him, the more that he is seeming to me like he's a steal in the second round. Um, it's gotten to the point where I will definitely be targeting him in probably all of my drafts. Um, I love the change in offense for him. I think that, you know, I'm not really impressed with Monty Ball. Hillman's not really a, a grinder. So I think that his role is more secure than people are saying. I could really see him getting this offense with Kubiak is going to be more, you know, run-oriented. I could actually see him getting 250-plus touches, maybe 300 touches this season. I think he'll finish as a top-five running back that you can get in the second round. But I hear exactly what Nick was saying about, you know, the, the way that the running back has been so unpredictable every year for um, the Broncos the last few years. But this year, I think with the change in coach, Manning's advanced age, I think they're really going to focus on the running game especially in the red zone. Um, and I think you're going to see C.J. Anderson put up double-digit touchdowns and be a top-five running back that's a steal in the second round. But that's just, you know, my view. No, yeah, and I totally agree. And and it does seem like it's been since Terrell Davis. But even even before that, I mean, I can remember them trying to decipher between Sammy Winder and Gerald Wilhite or whatever his name was. Uh, the guy, yeah. Remember that guy that did the backflips? Um <laughs> That's maybe from the that, maybe it's, go ahead. No, that's a, I just said that's from the day. <laughs> yeah, that's and maybe it's uh, maybe it's that thin air in Denver that prevents them from having a workhorse. I know it's just half their <laughs> games, but I, I, I don't know. It's, a, it's certainly something to consider there. Yeah, Kubiak um, likes to feature a running back. Kubiak definitely does. So if Anderson's up for the load, I, I think he'll see the touches this year. And uh, you know, if you don't know any, if you don't know Kubiak's name, he he obviously you probably know him. But if you don't know, he he backed up John Elway there for what seemed like 20 years in Denver, and so he is you know very familiar with this 
this town and the city, obviously the coaching regime is, is certainly different, but he, uh, he knows what wins in that, in that, that area there. So I, I, not, not very excited about him being there as a Raiders fan. Uh, Bill, who do you got for wide receiver? Um, this one is real easy for me. Golden Tate for the Detroit Lions has got an ADP of 411 right now in redraft leagues. Um, to me, it just defies logic. Yes, he is a very good receiver. Yes, he's going to probably see lots of single coverage. But when you actually stop and take a look at the, his numbers from last year and you look at Calvin Johnson's injury and you look at weeks four through eight when Megatron was out, you'll see that Golden Tate scored almost 50% of his points for the year in weeks four through eight. So he scored 125 of his 270 points in those weeks. So, you know, to say that he's going to repeat as a top 15 receiver, in my opinion, is just an absolute huge reach. I think, you know, in the fourth round when you're, you know, taking a player that high with the company that he's in, I think that's one of the worst picks that you could possibly make in Dynasty or in Retraft, in my opinion. Who were some other guys available that you were seeing available right there, Bill, that you would take over, Mr. Tate? Okay. I've got um, – I love fantasy football calculator for ADP. Um, I do also like MFL. I like to use theirs as well. But um, their ADP, both of them have their flaws because the, I always go off PPR ADP at, at FFC. And honestly, um, a lot of the players that draft in there don't treat it as PPR. It's the – don't draft that way. But anyway, um, at 4.11, um, let me go on all. According to Fantasy Football Calculator, at 4.11, guys like um, Hamari Cooper, Martavis Bryant, um, Brandon Marshall, Jar- Jarvis Landry are all in that or after. Um, all of those guys, I'm not really the biggest Brandon Marshall proponent, although I do think he'll have produce that draft spot. But Jarvis Landry, to me, he's the Rodney Dangerfield. If you look at Tannehill's history of throwing the football, he's constantly throwing the ball over the middle. Loves his slot receiver. No matter who the slot receiver has been, they've always been extremely productive. Um, And then you add Landry's talent in there. And here's a kid that's going to catch 100 balls that you can get in the fifth round. So to me, I would never even consider. I mean, Amari Cooper, I mean, I would take him 150 times out of 110 um, over Golden Tate. So there's really just no uh, comparison. Tate's a number two receiver. Cooper's a number one. Um, you know, you can go on and on. I'd rather have a number one receiver or even a number two receiver on a bad team over some of these guys. But um, Golden Tate, to me, just seems way overvalued because people are looking at his production but not really looking at the numbers. Very good point. Well, I actually have somebody that uh, is right around there and that, that same same thing. Um and DFW has Golden Tate at 4.09 right now, uh, right above, or excuse me, right below Devontae Parker, right above DGB, uh, Martavius Bryant, Allen Robinson, and uh, Michael Floyd are right after him. And Michael Floyd is my guy. And I, this is really just I don't, my own personal vendetta because I drafted him way too early last year. And he just, even though he led that team in receiving, he just killed me because I expected growth from from this guy who seems like he had 30 yards per catch the year before and just was over a thousand yards on like 56 catches or something something ridiculous like that and I saw maybe the next you know Deshaun Jackson type of player and and obviously they're very different players and I just what what happened to him in Arizona last year I know we can we can blame the quarterback situation but and then I know people are you know, saying, you know, what a great value Carson Palmer is this year. But I 
I don't see a scenario where Carson Palmer plays all 16 games, and I wouldn't be surprised if he missed, you know, half the season just because of his age and the history of that injury there. So, But I just don't see it with Michael Floyd. I know he's 25, and you don't want to just totally poo-poo and give up on a receiver there. But And like I said, it's just maybe my own personal vendetta, but burn me once, it's going to be hard to get back in, into my uh, good graces there. Uh, Nick, what do you got for us? Well, first off, I want to say I completely agree with Bill on uh, Golden Tate. Uh, you look at a guy who in his first four years never had 900 yards in the season, and then all of a sudden he comes out and has a 1,300-yard season. Tough to trust that one fully. But uh, the guy I went with is a little bit deeper. I went with Vincent Jackson, DFW's wide receiver, 48. Uh, his yards and his touchdowns dropped each of the last two seasons, but the number that really worries me about him is his yards per catch. Uh, 19 yards per catch in 2012, down to 15.7 in 2013, and then 14.3 last year. And plus his catch percentage is under 50% each of the last three years. Now he's uh, working with a rookie quarterback. He's 32 years old. Uh, he's not going to be the number one receiver on his team anymore. I'll be really surprised if he ends up topping 1,000 yards for the fifth straight year. You know, if I'm picking amongst uh, 32-year-old wide receivers, I'll take the uh, Marcus Colston in New Orleans, who's ranked uh, number 67 right now over Vincent Jackson. Um, what are you maybe a couple background on some of your guys, and maybe it's just some spots. Bill, what do you think about what Nick said with Vincent Jackson? Uh, you know, lose constantly losing the yards per catch year to year. Do you, do you think that's kind of an, an age thing as receivers? get older they maybe lose a step there i think you know it varies from receiver to receiver um like all athletes there's some that just go far and beyond everybody else in preparing for the season um larry fitzgerald is a perfect example i mean line receivers line up to go to his camp every year vincent jackson um i live in orlando so i'm a pretty big bucks fan and honestly just watch vincent jackson last year was very painful um, I do like Mike Glennon, but you know, I was I wrote from the very beginning that Lovey Smith was ruining the team, and we were on our way to the number one pick uh, when he brought in Josh McCown, the clown. So, um, honestly, I think that that his performance last year was just a a blip on the radar. I think you're going to see both his yards per reception increase, his receptions increase, and his touchdowns. Um, that is, if Jameis Winston can keep it together, I'm really worried about you know him throwing interceptions early in games and good and starting to lose because he's never experienced losing at any level, um, and especially in that Tampa area, if he starts goes 0 and 3, you know, and throws seven interceptions, you know, he's going to have to really rebuild himself from the ground up, which I don't know if he can do that, but um, I really think that Jackson's decreasing staff were more a function of the hideous offensive line subpar quarterback play and then you know to some extent I, I don't really want to say it but it looks like this Bucks completely checked out at some point last year where I didn't really see a lot of effort every play uh yeah I, I can agree there and maybe maybe just some thoughts that came to me when you're talking about Golden Tate and why people are maybe behind him obviously um, you know, Nick talked about his past as opposed to what he did last year, but that was, you know, obviously in Seattle, you know, the, yeah, the, the way plan for wide receivers. Um, but also the fact that, I mean, I, I think Lance Moore is still a lion, but who, what else have they done to upgrade this wide receiver core? I mean, Golden Tate's going to be on the field for 95% of the snaps. You know, Calvin's older. So, you know, there's certainly that injury risk there with him the last couple of years, too. Uh, don't don't you just think people maybe feel comfortable that he's going to be on the field there? Or is Eric Ebron just going to be there? Oh, yeah. Tony Gonzalez? 
sorry. Yeah, he'll definitely see a snap count. There's no doubt that he'll be on the field. I also believe that Calvin Johnson probably will go down with an injury at some point for and miss some time. So he will offer some upside during those weeks. Uh, and I completely agree with you on their depth chart. It's really slim. Lance Moore is still there. Um, they've got a couple of guys that, you know, Jeremy Ross, Corey Fuller. Um, they, Ryan Broyles was a player that I really liked coming out of college, was the NCAA reception leader. But unfortunately, he suffered injury after injury. But he would make an outstanding slot receiver. But I'm really hoping um, to see Ebron step up this year. If he's able to, you know, I think that will take some of the burden off and actually help Megatron and um, the other players uh, have better statistical seasons as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, tight end. Let's start with Nick here. What do you think about tight end, Nick? Um, I took Kyle Rudolph, uh, tight end number nine in DFW rankings. Uh, you know, I, I drank the Kool-Aid on Kyle Rudolph a couple of years ago, but I'm just done with him. He's missed 16 games over the last two years. He's never had a 500-yard season. He put up nine touchdowns in 2012, but then he's only had five scores since. I, I, I can't trust Kyle Rudolph as a top ten tight end. Oh, I couldn't agree more. That is great. I feel bad about mine now because I, 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 I've never owned this guy, and I just don't get it. But yeah, Rudolph burned me big time last year. Uh, thankfully, I was able to to swing a swing something for Travis Kelsey before he became a, a dominant player. But uh, yeah, Rudolph. I don't get the Rudolph thing. I know he's got some years under his belt, but he still is lacking in experience from missing all those games. Um, and they, I, I, I believe in the weapons around Bridgewater, but I don't believe in, in Rudolph by any means. Um, oh, that's good. I wanted to bang on Rudolph, but that's a good one. Um, but anyway, I think Bill is on, is on this player and I just, and I just don't get it. And one thing that keeps coming back is everybody really likes Zach Ertz. And I just, Everybody's like, this is it. He's gonna, he's gonna be awesome. I've seen, you know, him go like as the fourth tight end off the board behind Kelsey Graham and and Gronk, obviously. Um, and not that I think, you know, I'm not, I'm gonna make a big case for Julius Thomas. I just would rather, if I don't get one of those top three, I would certainly rather wait. Um, and I just don't get the Ertz thing. Everybody says he's gonna be awesome this year, but nobody provides me with any type of background about how they're going to use him or what exactly he is going to do. Go ahead. I First I'll say that I absolutely love Kyle Rudolph's value in the 12th round this year. Um, I was burned by him last year as well, but you got to throw that away. you got to have a short-term memory like a cornerback in the NFL. you got to just look at it from season to season. Um, he's got North Turner scheme to his benefit, which made stars out of Antonio Gates and Jordan Cameron. Um, so you really have to give the benefit of the doubt. But Nick is 100% right, and so are you. His injuries are repetitive and often. But, um, you know, if he ever is able to stay healthy, and, again, this is only because he's in the 12th round and just such an incredible value to me, um, I just don't see any risk taking him as an upside number two. Um, with respect to Zach Ertz, um, if you look at what he's done in the offseason, how hard he's worked on his footwork, he also worked with a Hall of Fame offensive line coach to improve his blocking. Um, if you look at the snap counts from last year, you'll see that Selleck far exceeded his snap counts. Um, but I think this year, even though he's working with the number twos in camp right now, I think you're going to see Selleck start to eventually fall off. I think you're going to see Ertz in on more running plays because he has improved his blocking immensely. Um, and when you combine the opportunity due to the loss of all the receiving targets that are going to have to be spread out on the team, 
you already look at his dynamic skills and playmaking ability, the scheme under Chip Kelly, uh, and then potentially doubling his snap count, um, and then not to mention two quarterbacks that favor throwing to their tight ends there as well. So um, I just see where everything where Zach Ertz burnt me last year. I drafted him in a lot of leagues as an upside two or my late round one tight end. So I've been burned by both of these players before. But again, short-term memory, throw that in the trash and just look at the situation this year. Um, you know, Selleck is already dropping a bunch of balls in camp. And, you know, he's old. I've liked Selleck. He's a Johnny Lunch pal. He'll go out there and beat up on the guy across, lined up from across from him, and he won't make mistakes. Uh, but he's not dynamic. He doesn't offer any mismatches on the offensive, um, and it doesn't force the D.C. to scheme to try to stop you. So I think you're going to see Ertz double his snap count, and when he does, he's just going to go through the roof. He already made some amazing catches in camp yesterday, so you're just going to see this kid, um, his skills come out. It takes tight ends two to three years is the typical growth curve uh, for these tight ends to break out, and especially uh, when you've got a coach that really values a blocking tight end like Kelly does. That's why um, we saw so many snaps from Selleck the last few years, but it's based on those facts. That's why I like her so much. Okay. Um, what do you have for t- overvalued tight end for us? Um, again, I tried to stick with players that were ranked really high, so I went with Julius Thomas. Um, again, not a knock on the guy at all. I mean, honestly, he's obviously one of the better tight ends in the league, uh, but he's trapped in Jacksonville. And let's be honest, I mean, as optimistic as we want to be with the Jags, um, you know, they're still going to struggle. They added a couple of players to their offensive line, Parnell um, and Pickard. They drafted, I think it's A.J. Can. Um, they, they've done some improvements on the offensive line, but I honestly see um, Thomas having to block some more in the scheme. I don't see where they're going to be able to have him do a lot of routes. And, again, there's a lot of mouths to feed there. And, again, I also think that the O.C. is going to pretty much try to ground and pound the ball. That's more of the style of head coach, Bradley's style. So I think that's probably the direction that they're going to go into. I think people are just expecting too much from him. I think his, you know, t- his receptions will probably cap out at around 45-50, which is traditionally the level that the Jacksonville tight end see. Um, and his touchdown count might be a savior, but it's going to be spotty. You know, I, I just don't see consistent red zones for uh, looks for any of the Jaguars, to be honest with you. But I think he's going to be touchdown dependent like he was in Denver. Uh, yeah, yeah, good point there. I, I've traded him in a few leagues and kind of stuck with him in another because I, I drafted him. But uh, I, I, yeah, it's, it's. I think there's just so much unknown, especially with that team, and uh, nobody's going to be surprised if that's the worst team in the NFL again. And you just can't get behind players like that, unfortunately. Um, Bill, did you have an IDP name for us? Um, oh, IDP, I went with defense. I thought that I misread the outline. I had the Seattle defense ready all teed up to say how people overdraft him every year. Um, the most overdrafted IDP, hmm, I would have I, to say. I agree. I was going to say, I agree with you on the Seattle defense. I just wrote an article about that division that's going to be out tomorrow. And if you look at the number of pieces they've lost over the last couple of years, it's it's going to be a different team, definitely. What do you got for us? An overrated IDP player, you know, honestly, I'd have to probably go through it and actually look at players that were drafted earlier. I honestly am not saying, I know we do all of our IDP drafts, and we've probably done 30 of them, the two of us, this offseason. But off the top of my head, I, I cannot really think of one that really stands out that's an early taken player. 
Um, the guys that are taken early, and traditionally like J.J. Watt, Keekly, David, all those guys, they're all worth their upper-level draft picks, but um, probably would be some of the younger linebackers that are being taken early, but to say my one overdraft one, I, I don't have one for you, Josh. Maybe you guys talk a little bit, and I'll see if I can chime back in. Sure, sure. Um, I went with Jarrell Freeman, and he, he's a young guy. I feel like he's typically maybe like this – a second tight end, or excuse me, a second uh, a second linebacker for a lot of teams. You know, if they if they get a, a nice guy early, and they 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 expect maybe growth from them. Uh, but I just I just don't see it here with him. And I and I've talked. I want to give uh, Julie over at NFL Female credit. We talked about him when he was on uh, when she was excuse me when she was on when we were reviewing that division, and she just didn't see. Um, the fact that he was progressing, he had a good year the year before, but you know, they've, they've added some weapons to this team and I feel like it's maybe going to hit be at his expense. I don't, I don't think he's the next big thing as, as, as some people are maybe, maybe pinpointing him with, with there. I just don't, I just don't see that he's their future guy inside. That's going to be, you know, the hundred tackle guy. And obviously you can get great value in IDP with IDP guys deep. And I just, I just don't see it coming out of him there in Indianapolis. Nick, what do you got for? Um, I got three guys actually quick. Uh, started on defensive line. Jason Pierre-Paul still ranked in the top ten. I just uh, I can't trust him. I don't know if he's going to be able to fight off blocks without having an index finger. You'd think that would be kind of an important <laughs> thing for gripping and stuff like that. I just can't see him still being in the top ten. Uh, linebacker number four, Navarro Bowman. You know, it's a guy who's had issues staying healthy, and we don't really know if he's going to end up being the same player after that torn ACL and MCL. I just think number four is a little too high for him. And then in the secondary, I went with Landon Collins, ranked in DB11. Uh, you know, I like him, but putting a rookie who's never played the down in the NFL ahead of guys like Cam Chancellor, that's just too high for me. Oh, but Chancellor's holding out. Um, and I am not the person to ask about Landon, Landon Collins because I just <laughs> – I think he is all of that. Um, and I should point out that I guess Freeman is not ranked in the top – 56 for ADP on, on uh, uh, DFW, so maybe it's just more of a cautionary tale to stay away from him and go with some of these guys that we have in our top 55 ADP. So, uh, Bill, any thoughts there? Yes, actually, I, I, I realized what I wanted to say. It's every single defensive back that's taken before round 20 in a dynasty startup. To me, I just <laughs> absolutely no reason in the world to waste one of your early picks on a defensive back. In fact, if you look most weeks, you could probably just stream different DBs and get similar production that's within a couple of points of some of these top guys. Um, and in the meantime, you could be loading up or taking shots at other players. So I just really devalue the DB position and just think it's something that you can even live off the waiver wire for. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you there because people don't stockpile these guys like they do uh, receivers or running backs. And, you know, a guy that a guy that I get in every single startup, and I shouldn't be saying this because now he's, now he's not going to be out there, but a guy or any mock or startup that I do, Malcolm Jenkins, almost a 200-point safety last year. And I know round 25, if I need a safety, he's going to be there. I, I just and, – and Charles Woodson is another guy. You know what? So what if he's playing like on a year-to-year contract? He's going to produce 200 points because the guy Absolutely. is all over the place. He is not he's not slowing down by any means. So. Round 25 um, be on him as well for Woodson. And, you know, honestly, you, you just can't beat the value there. 
yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna reach for Landon Collins. I just won't be talked out of it. So that's just that's my flaw, <laughs> I guess you would say. Uh, but I just love him so much. Well, it's the one position that if you're actually bad, it's good for fantasy. If you are a quarterback filling in for somebody a starter and you're not very good, but that you're the best the team has, the FOC is going to crucify you by targeting you continually. So here you actually have a bad player that can turn out to be a good fantasy player, and it's really the only position that you could say that for. Uh, yeah, and, and the one thing I, I – that's a good point, Bill. And one thing I look at is is the guys playing opposite the real shutdown corners, you know, I, I own Jonathan Banks in a couple of leagues because his, his fellow cornerback is Eltron Vernon. Um, I feel the same way about Gerard Powers, who is probably available in just about any league that you could imagine right now if it's a deeper IDP league because he's opposite Patrick Peterson. Uh, I, I, those guys, I think, are going to, especially guys that could be available and they could be great bi-week fillers, fillers excuse me, if your league requires cornerbacks because they're opposite the, those main shutdown guys. So. Uh, very good point there, Bill. Um, Bill, now that we've we've banged on a bunch of players, why don't you why don't you give us some sleepers, some deep sleepers? Okay, um, on the sleepers, I tried to go at least round ten or later. Um, and my quarterback deep sleeper is Sam Bradford and also Carson Palmer. Um, I hear the injury concerns with both players. Um, Sam Bradford, if you would believe, I'm sure you guys know this, but the Eagles did a feasibility study of him getting re-injured, and it came up at 12%. Um, and obviously by the fact that they're starting to explore contract negotiations and he's taking first-team reps in camp right now, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that Bradford's going to be ready to start. Um, and when you factor in the number of plays that Chip Kelly runs and the efficiency of the offense, I just don't see any way that you can't have Sam Bradford as a top 8-10 to 10 finisher this year if he stays healthy. And again, you're talking about a 10% average, which I would say every player has a 10% average to get re-injured. And this is a guy that came up two ACLs. Uh, the offensive line is going to be the best he's ever played behind. The skill position players are going to be the best he's ever played behind. Um, so he's just going to be loaded with talent, and he's going to manage that offense right into a top-10 finish. And his ADP right now at FF Fantasy Football Calculator is 10.12. So here's my perfect example of how you can stream two quarterbacks, load up on nine quality picks, grab Sam Bradford at 10-12, and then at 11-1, grab another guy like maybe even Carson Palmer, whose ADP is 11-9, um, another player that does have injury concerns and age concerns. But if you look at the talent on that team, um, they are just stacked from position to position. They just added um, another the, the tight end, Jermaine Grisham, who isn't great, but he's definitely going to be the best tight end they've had in some years. So I think Bradford's just criminal, his value at 10-12. And honestly, in all my redrafts, I'll be targeting Bradford as one of my pairs to stream uh, and Palmer's for the same reason at 11-9. Um, with Bradford, too, and I, I tried to make this point maybe not so eloquently as you about uh, about him last week, I feel like that Chip Kelly, uh, you know, system or scheme, you know, and then I know that 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 term is really pounded home with him, but I feel like it's going to be it's so much timing based where I just don't feel like Bradford's going to be in position where he's going to get hurt. I feel like he's going to have that ball out so quick and they're going to have, you know, they're going to be moving things around. They're going to be doing audibles before the snap and whatnot. I just feel like it's so timing-based that he's going to know where, the, where that open player is going to, going to open up and he's going to have the ball. I just don't think – I don't see him scrambling, you know, for, for, for eight to nine seconds with the ball and getting sacked. I just feel like 
obviously he's going to get sacked. I'm not saying he's not going to get sacked, but I just feel like he can, he's going to have a chance to really be successful in that system because he is familiar with coming with playing with the spread in college, but I think it's just going to be a timing thing where he's not going to be holding the ball. He's going to have a great offensive line, which is, you know, something that he really never had in St. Louis. Yeah, his accuracy is, is top-notch, too, and that's Kip Kelly's most important trait when he looks at quarterbacks. He wants an accurate quarterback, and if you look at Bradford tradition, historically, uh, Bradford's an extremely act, uh, accurate quarterback, so I think it's a perfect match. Um, if he couldn't get his boy Mariota, he ended up getting Bradford, so I'm really bullish on Bradford this year and long-term. Okay, you got some more sleepers for us there, Bill? Um, at running back, I love, I mean, I absolutely love this rookie running back class for late round sleepers. Again, I'm looking everything after round 10. Um, guys like uh, David Cobb, David Johnson, J.H.I., Cameron Artis Payne, and Javorius Allen, they're all drafted anywhere between 10-2, uh, 13-7. Uh, and Javorius Allen doesn't even have an ADP at FFC right now. So um, I think a lot of that might be just because they might not have as many dynasty people that might not know about this player. But um, all these guys just scream incredible value as your number four or five running back uh, that you can wait in the draft and either load up at running back and tight end and receiver. Um, you know, I'm sorry, receiver and tight end and all or the other positions and then just go ahead and wait and land one of these guys because honestly, I see David Cobb as being the uh, the carrying the lion's share of the load there. We've already talked about what I thought about David Johnson and Javorius Allen. Um, Jay Ajay has looked pretty rough in camp, but there's not a rookie that you can't say struggles when they first get that NFL playbook. Um, you know, he's got a better skill set, um, and I th- honestly think that he's going to threaten uh, Lamar Miller at some point. He's another guy they're talking up 20, 25 carries. Just don't see it. He's only 210 pounds. He's never carried that load. Uh, and then Karen Otis Payne. I like him because how you dislike Jonathan Stewart. Um, here's a guy that you can get in the end of the 13th round and has a real legitimate shot of being a starting running back. Um, and if you look at the way he played at Auburn, he's got enough of a skill set to fit right into that offense and be productive. So I love the running backs that are available later, all the rookie running backs. And I am usually try to swing away with as many as I can load up a lineup with. Uh, yeah, I agree there. Um, I got... I, I got Cameron Artis Payne in the Scott Fishbowl, and I know that's just a redraft, but I, I'm trying to bring it up here. It was criminal where I got him. I'm going to say it was like round 18 or, or 19 or some, some, something ridiculous like that. I just, I was just like, oh my gosh, I just found him on the, I found him on there, and obviously the rate, the rankings are a little bit different. I'm just like, oh, I, I cannot pass that up. Because um, I just, you know, like you said, it's just going to be, it's, it's, Inevitable that Stewart's going to get uh, get hurt. Uh, what do you got for us for wide receivers there? Nope. Uh, for, for me or Nick? No, we uh, we we just doing your sleepers today. We have a sleeper show okay. had, had it coming up here at the end of the month. So. Okay, great. Um, Marquez Colston is probably one of my favorites this year. Um, he's this again is for redraft. It's not really for um, for dynasty, but Colston's still a decent value as a one year uh, rental player that you can add. Um, he doesn't have he's no love this year. His ADP is ten point four. Um, you know, Stills and Graham are both gone. That's 180 targets that they're going to have to replace. Um, he's a savvy vet. You know, he's obviously lost a step or two over the years. He is injury prone to some extent, but this is a player that the Saints and Drew Brees are going to lean on, especially in the red zone. I could easily see him approach double-digit touchdowns and finish um, as a top-20 receiver. In fact, if you look at the numbers down the stretch last year when Graham was hurt, you saw um, a huge resurgence in Colston's numbers, and he actually was a top-20 quarter or run wide receiver coming down the stretch. 
fetch. Um, so, and then going deeper, deeper, if you want to go much later, I love Leonard Hankerson in Atlanta. Um, the injury factors that you have to worry about, Julio Jones and Roddy White. We saw Douglas really excel in that role. Hankerson is a Shanahan follower. Um, he came over. He really has some upside. I love Taylor Gabriel. Um, for Cleveland and Cole Beasley for Dallas as well if you're in PPR leagues for late, late round guys that have a chance to be, you know, 10 to 15 point guys that you need to plug and play on a buy or injury emergency. Yeah, very good, very good names there. I, I like Taylor Gabriel too a lot. I, I worried that they brought all those wide receivers in, but I don't think anybody there is, is there for the future. Um, and I got I got Cameron Artist Payne, 18.11 Scott Fishboard. That's just stuff that was crazy. Um, uh, another guy that you didn't mention that I know you're a little high on, and maybe you could expound on that for us, uh, Andre Williams. Andre Williams, the running back? Yeah. I'm actually not a big fan of Andre Williams. I like him long-term in Dynasty because just the value that you can get him and sit on him and hope. Um, you got to love his production when um, you know from college. But to be honest with you, when I watched him last year and reviewed him, because I do own him in several leagues, I'm concerned he did catch the ball better than, you know, it was anticipated because, you know, he really isn't a good receiver out of the backfield. But um, he's not really the, the banger that I was hoping for. I was thinking of the old thunder and lightning days with Tiki Barber, but I, I just don't see, unless he can improve that three-yard average, um, he just needs to show a little more wiggle, and maybe it was because, you know, he's a rookie. I'm hoping that he grows into it, but I would probably avoid him unless it was non-PPR um, for redraft sake. Okay. Uh, Nick, any, any thoughts there in the players that he's mentioned so far? Uh, I just got a question for you. In a redraft format, uh, you mentioned Leonard Hankerson. Would you prefer him over the rookie Justin Hardy there in Atlanta? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, Hardy is a really good player. I really like Hardy long-term. Um, but Shanahan, you know, had Hankerson over in Watt at the Redskins last year. Um, and honestly, you know, he came over. He's looked really good in OTAs in camp. Um, I think that, you know, he, I think he'll win the role just because he does have the experience in the offense. Um, and I think, honestly, you know, we saw Douglas really step up when Roddy White went down. And God forbid something happens to Julio Jones or Roddy White. I think Hankerson can probably step in. And then with the quality that offense is building, um, you know, I really think that Hankerson could step in and put up, you know, decent wide receiver three numbers uh, like Douglas did if it was the case. And I like Hardy long-term, probably a little bit more in Dynasty, but it's really close. Hankerson's really young. He's got great size, good speed, good hands, and he knows that Shanahan offense. So I probably would tank Hankerson over him every time at this point. Uh yeah, and I and I think Roddy's already dinged up too, so I don't know I don't know if he's going to be you know I think he's still going to be ready for the start of the season, but he's already he's already has has a few bruises I guess you'll say. Um, moving on, Bill, what do you got? Do you got some tight ends for us? Tight ends, you guys are going to absolutely love. It's Kyle Rudolph because of his value again. It, <laughs> his ADP right now is twelve ten, and again I'm looking for guys that are after round ten. So. Um, for as far as value in a sleeper. Kyle Rudolph, you know, he was the MVP of the Pro Bowl a few years ago. People forget. Um, excellent production. This is a kid that, you know, should have every opportunity in North Turner's scheme. So uh, the only thing is, can he stay healthy? Um, and that's going to be the big thing because he's been pretty much hurt almost every single season. He's got elite upside.
upside, top 10 upside, but, you know, his basement is really low, just like last year. Um, other guys that I like late are Tyler Eifert. I think, you know, I'm not as big a fan of Andy Dalton because Hugh Jackson, when he took over last year, their scheme really um, took the ball out of Dalton's hands, and you could see a lot more ball control and a lot more running. So uh, I, I think Eifert, though, is going to fit right in and help Dalton get a little bit better. Um, you know, he was an elite draft uh, coming out of college. I think he really is going to fit in well. He's got a great chance. And then a deep, deep, deep sleeper is Deion Sims for uh, Miami. Um, I I'm not a big fan of Jordan Cameron, I'll be honest with you. I just think that he's been a function of the scheme, and he's always injured as well. So I really think that Sims is a player that, if an injury happened, could really step up and surprise some people, kind of come out of the woodwork like Charles Clay did. That's a good point. I saw that he was ranked in our – you guys had him ranked in the in the, in the the tight ends really late. I'm just like, wow, where did that come from? But uh, um, Probably. <laughs> Sorry. You, no, it's okay. You didn't. Uh, you didn't mention my my deep sleeper, Jay Samaro. What What are your thoughts there? If, and if, okay. you, if you absolutely hate hate him, tell me three bad things about him. Who's <laughs> that? Jay Samaro. Oh, Jay Samaro. I love Jay Samaro. In fact, I just took him in a dynasty uh, supplemental draft that we're doing right now. He was my first pick of the leftover pile of the players. Um, my only concern with him, um, you know, I looked at him pretty extensively. If you look at his numbers from last year, his catch rate really wasn't that great, and he dropped six balls on only 52 targets. Um, so for me, you know, that is a bit of a concern, but then you got to consider the quarterbacks that were throwing the ball to him. Um, so I'm a little bit worried about drops, but his athleticism, um, I think they're going to use him more as an H-back in Gailey's scheme, which I think really favors um, his game. I think they'll move, you move him around this, uh, in different formations, and I really think that he's got potential for a 50 to 60 catch season if the cards fall perfect for him. Uh, but, you know, he's never going to be an inline tight end. I think Cumberland is going to be, you know, locked into that role and his snap count will be his biggest um, enemy, I think, honestly. But I do like Jason Morrow long term and I really think that, you know, once he gets established and settled in, he'll be a top 12 tight end eventually. And that's, like you said, that's the key there with him. It's long term and, and you want to get him now when it's so cheap, it's so cheap to get him now. And I'm I'm not worried about the drops. I I think I think that'll that'll certainly iron itself out. The guy can catch. He caught a thousand balls at Texas Tech. I know I'm indulging here, but I mean it was ridiculous the number of balls he caught at Texas Tech. It was. So and he had a ten catch game last year as well. So I mean he he he. I honestly think that his drops were more a function of the quarterback. Um, and you know that, that in being a rookie, I honestly think that he's a much better receiver than that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, if you if you're really worried about drop rates, I think the the rookie with the most the, with the worst drop rate was uh, uh, Richard Rodgers up there in Green Bay, and I know a lot of people are kicking the tires on him now with the situation with Andrew Corliss, but I, he's not not a guy that I I'm not uh, I'm not too enthusiastic about, even, even though he's in a great offense. Um, I'm bound. Why don't we – what's up? Sorry, Jack. Go ahead. Okay. Um, why don't we uh, move – I know we've kind of talked a little bit about it. We did some startup dynasty strategy. But, Bill, if you can still stick around, why, why don't we talk a little redraft strategy? Um, uh, we'll, we'll have Nick start here. What do you got for us, Nick? 
Oh, it's pretty similar to the Dynasty startup, except, you know, you're drafting just for this year. So, uh, you know, a lot of times you can get the veterans for cheaper. I don't like drafting rookies near as much in uh, in redrafts just because a lot of times, especially at the tight end position, and a little bit too at the running back position because they need to learn how to, you know, pass block. They uh, the players at those positions tend to take a year or two to develop. So I tend to stay away from the rookies a lot more in the redraft. Um, Bill, what do you got for us? Uh, redraft, I'm pretty, you know, open to the strategy, just like Nick said. You have to be flexible, know your scoring rules, you know, and, and really just have a good idea of the ADB and expect and have a plan, but you really need to be flexible. Um, if I'm drafting in the early rounds in ADP, I'll usually target a top running back um, and then try to nail two top receivers coming back around. I like that formula this year. If I'm drafting from the, um, the 11 or 12 spot this year, I've seen a lot of variation in the drafts. Um, a lot of times I'll like to land, you know, running back, receiver, split it, or if two receivers happen to fall, go receiver, receiver, and then try to nail running backs with the following picks. But my main redraft strategy is to make sure that you wait on quarterback. Um, honestly, I just I just devalue the position so much. If you look beyond the elite two, of course, Andrew Luck and Rodgers, if you just look at the production, you're really just not going to gain too much of a statistical advantage by taking a player in those early rounds. And if you look at the drop-off in production between running backs you know, it's say one to ten down to you know fifteen to thirty. You know, the, the significant drop off. It's you know you're talking about fifteen to thirty percent of the production is gone, and you just can't replace that. So if you can load up on all those other players and then nab say Bradford and Carson Palmer and stream them through the year and then work the waiver wire, you know you'll have the benefit of depth, quality on your team, and then you the receiver or quarterback position, you will get number one quarterback production out of it. You just have to really get over that psychological hurdle of waiting waiting on the draft, waiting to get your quarterback, building that team, taking your shots, and then, you know, just it's tough because you really have to play your matchups. But, you know, most of these quarterbacks will get you between 18 and 22 points in most common scoring. Um, so, you know, it's it's really easy to get two quarterbacks that mesh well, that have good schedules that you can, you know, offset when you know one's going to be off and have it. So I, I think that's the most important thing that's a winning thing for me, at least anyway, is to wait on your quarterback. Don't reach. Don't ever take you know, Luck or Rogers in the first round unless it's, you know, a six-point passing touchdown league because it's just just you can't recover unless you absolutely have a perfect draft. That is possible, but you'd have to have an absolutely perfect draft to make up for it. Very good point there. Um, I I know, and, it, and I think another key on redraft is my redraft, I know um, the one main one that I've been in for years I know the players in my league. I know I know there's two Vikings fans. I know there's two Cowboys fans. And I know there's two Broncos fans. Um, I don't know. Well, there's even a Chiefs fan. I don't know why I surround myself with these people. But uh, uh, I know those players and I know their tendencies. So, I mean, obviously, if you're in that – and this is it, – it's just a like – it's like a home league. It's a fun league for me. There's actually three Vikings fans when I think about it. Uh, but I, I, I have a lot of fun – beating all these people every single year. So it's it's just kind of knowing the players there. I, I like to do that. I, I know somebody's going to take Peyton Manning in the first three rounds, you know, probably round three. But uh, I and I and I know that I if I if I get CJ Anderson at a good value and I, I could probably trade him for a whole lot whole lot more uh, later on in in the season if. Uh, if if I can uh, convince one of those Broncos guys to do that, so that's kind of one thing I like to know, especially in those leagues where you really really know everybody. You know, it's kind of a friends league or whatever. Um, 
and it's by no means high stakes, but I, uh, I certainly, uh, love taking their money. And, uh, that's kind of one thing I do. Bill brings up some really good points though, about, uh, drafting the quarterback early. Uh, I, I'd like to do it if I, if I see the value there with, uh, with Aaron Rodgers or Andrew Luck, but uh, it's, you've certainly convinced me to wait and not really be frantically be going after one after those two guys are gone because I think that's often happens. That's kind of one of the the missteps people make in drafts. Bill brings up a good point there about the about the quarterbacks there. So um, moving forward, we have some dynasty trade analysis. Bill, can you still stick around? Oh yeah, I'm good. I'm good to go. All right, cool. Just making sure. Well. Um, we first off, let's start with the one. Uh, I got a question on Twitter. If you ever have a question for me on Twitter, that's totally fine. I, I appreciate it, and I'm very happy to help, and I can usually do so in a very short amount of time. Um, this is from a friend that uh, Jason Hewitt, I believe his name is. He asks me a handful of questions, and I remember his because he's in this weird league where they get to, where it's a point and a half uh, per reception for running backs and tight ends and just regular PPR for uh, receivers. But uh, the, the the trade here, so this is, a set, like again, I said, point and a half for running backs and tight ends. It was, um, uh, excuse me, Allen Robinson. Nope, sorry, wrong person. Wrong person. This person yeah, is called, called... What's up? Dem Thomas and Tevin Coleman for Jeremy Hill and Allen Robinson. Yes, yes. Um uh, what what are your thoughts there, Nick? Yeah, to me, it's a it's a little bit to give up uh, Demarius Thomas for uh, even for Jeremy Hill, who I am extremely high on. And I guess if you were really desperate for a running back, then that would be okay. But personally, I would I would hold on to Demarius Thomas. Okay. Um, well, I told him that I, that I love Hill, but I would probably stand pat. I think Demarius Thomas is going to be good no matter who his quarterback is. Um, and I just I don't I, and I know Bill's probably gonna disagree here. I just don't see the value there. You know, if you look at it wide receiver versus wide receiver with with Demarius Thomas and Allen Robinson, if there's too much of a big gap, I just I just don't like doing that. Um, so I, I I told him to stand past there. What what are your thoughts there, Bill? Um, I actually like the Jeremy Hill and Allen Robinson side um, a little bit better. If you break it down and you trade them for Allen. Um, obviously, the edge goes to Dem. There's no nobody's going to argue that Allen's a better receiver than Dem Thomas. But um, I'm extremely bullish on Allen this year. I really, truly think that he's going to finish the year in the top 15 to 20 receivers. I think if you look at his numbers last year, he was on pace to produce as a top 20 receiver. Um, he's going to see a ton of targets. They're going to be throwing the ball a lot in Jacksonville, regardless of what they say. Um, I, so I see the difference between Dem and Allen being a little closer uh, than maybe some people. So then when you take a look at the Coleman for Hill, obviously the one and a half points per reception for the running backs is, is unusual and huge. Um, so, you know, you obviously have to discount Hill a little bit for that, and you have to give um, Tevin Coleman, you know, you, you project that he'll be an active receiver based on his skill set. So I actually think that if you could take a slight downgrade on Dem Thomas, I mean, Peyton Manning is gone next year. Um, it does make a difference with the quality of the quarterback. I mean, you don't have to look far in the NFL for examples of that. I'm not saying that Dem Thomas is going to fall off the board and become a number three receiver, uh, but he might fall from a perennial top five to a perennial top ten until the quarterback gets his feet under him. So I don't see if he's a 10, then Robinson's a 12 or 15. I don't see where you're losing too much, whereas you're really gaining 
um, you know, a, a huge running back in Jeremy Hill, who I think is one of the best dynasty running backs to hold. Um, that one and a half points won't help him for catches. Um, obviously, Gio's going to vulture some, but Hill is a very good receiver out of the backfield, and he is going to see catches. So, um, Coleman, I love Coleman. You guys know I do. Uh, but honestly, you know, the, the way he's going to be used with Freeman, uh, I'm just not sure I can see him as a 300-touch running back. You know, I could see them easily taking another running back in the draft next year, someone to pair Coleman with. So long-term, I think Jeremy Hill is going to be a dynasty staple, whereas Coleman might be a piece. Um, And I see a lot more similarities between Thomas and Robinson's production. So I would just probably take a swing and go Jeremy Hill and Allen Robinson, although I would ask for more, um, because obviously the perceived, you know, bold, piece in this is going to be Dem Thomas. So I think you could probably eke out a little more if you were going to do the trade, but I would lean towards the Robinson Hill side. Okay. Well, the, the continuing story of this draft is I told, or excuse me, this trade, I told him to, to stand past to which he did. And then he offered Demarius Thomas for Allen Robinson and, and uh, Nelson Aguilar. Uh, that was rejected, but they ended up making a deal that involved Demarius Thomas Demontre Moore, the defensive end, and he got Allen Robinson and Aguilar back. So that's uh, I think I think he probably did all right for himself. And you know, one thing with the 16 team format is if and I hear what you're saying about getting rid of Demarius Thomas, maybe kind of on on a high. But if you're getting rid of an elite receiver, I think you really got to be sure about what you're getting back because it's it's, it's pretty hard to get to to redo that type of guy in this in this type of situation with the 16 team format um uh we have a couple trades here from dfw 36 um let's do the burgundy one first because this other one is just massive and i don't even know if i've still yet wrapped my head around it uh Trey, this is the smaller one Trey mason in a fourth round pick uh, for Buck Allen and Terrell Suggs, Burgundy gave up Trey Mason uh, and, and a fourth-round pick and got Buck Allen and Terrell Suggs. Bill, what are your thoughts on this trade? Um, I actually like Burgundy's side in this. I think, you know, I really, obviously, from this, you can tell I really like Buck Allen quite a bit, um, especially in PPR leagues. And, you know, as much as I like Trey Mason, you know, you can't avoid the reality that Gurley is there now in Regardless, he's going to be the, the feature back for that team. So I see a player that are players that are on different directions. You've got uh, one player that's going to see, be seeing a reduced amount of touches in the near future, and one that could actually earn a feature role by the end of this year. Because I totally believe that Forsett um, is inferior in every way to Javoris Allen talent-wise. Now, can the rookie put it all together and put it on the field this first year? That's what we have to see. But um, you know, honestly, I, I would take the Burgundy side on that. Okay. Um, Bill, I don't remember. It just says Team Team B. Did the guy oh, yeah, this trade? Yeah, the Team B is a, a team that shall not be mentioned. Oh, okay. Was that? Does that player have uh, Trey Mason? Our Trey that got Trey Mason. Do they have Gurley? Um, I I know. I would say that they don't have them. No, just knowing the person. No. Okay. Okay. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts there? 
Uh, yeah, I like the side that picked up Buck Allen. I think long-term he provides more value than Trey Mason because Gurley is there. Obviously, the first month of the season, Mason might be pretty decent, but after that, it's going to be the Gurley show. Uh, and then, so, so you know, you got a better value as far as swapping the running backs and a fourth-rounder for Terrell Suggs. I don't have a problem with that if he, he had a hole to fill there on the defense for a couple of years. Yeah, and we all know Burgundy. He's going to, once Buck Allen, you know, Buck Allen's going to have a 1,000 yards next year, and he's going to flip him for something else even greater probably. So <laughs> we know how that story's going to end. Uh, okay, this this next trade is just, just huge because um, it involves Antonio Brown. I think that's what makes it huge to me. But somebody gave up T.J. Yeldon and Antonio Brown uh, and received C.J. Anderson, T.Y. Hilton, and Sean Lee in return. So that uh, the person that gave up C.J. Anderson is coincidentally a Denver Broncos fan, and that's uh, another site only here, Jay Myers. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this build? Um, I again, I'm, this is a tough one for me, honestly. I mean, I I like all the players that are involved in this trade. I saw this when it came across the wire. Um, on the one side, Jay's getting T.J. Yeldon, who I know he covets. Um, I also think that Yeldon has an opportunity to be a feature back, three-down player, exceed 300 touches. So I think he's your rookie of the year candidate. So his value, um, as it is right now compared to his potential next year, is really good. Uh, whereas somebody, you know, like um, C.J. Anderson, you know, he's already pretty much way up there right now as well. He's, a, you know, almost a first-round pick. Antonio Brown, you know, to land a player like Antonio Brown, um, to me, if you land a player like that, regardless, it's a home run because, you know, here's a guy that's been the best receiver in the NFL. He gets absolutely no respect, but you can expect 100 passes from him like you can expect, you know, the sun to shine here in Florida. So he's just, you know, coming away with Yeldon and Antonio Brown. Uh, yeah, he had to give up C.J. Anderson, and if you know Jay, he's a Denver Bronco fan. He bleeds Bronco color, so I know that was a tough one for Jay to give up. And to give up T.Y. Hilton, who I think probably will stay with the Colts as a loss, and Sean Lee, to me, I don't understand why anybody still values him. The guy's never stayed healthy. He's never going to stay healthy. I'm sure he's a monster when he's in the game, but to, for Jay to walk away with Antonio Brown and TJ Yeldon, I'm going to have to give him the, the edge um, over Anderson and Hilton. Yeah, it's it's hard because I feel like it's is is Anto yeah I, Antonio Brown. You know, is he, he he got he got Antonio Brown, but gave up two really quality players, and I agree with you about you know. Basically, you know, Sean Lee was probably in this trade just to put it over the top or whatever, just to make sure it actually happened. But, and with the mystery of we don't know what Yeldon's going to be, I'm not a huge Yeldon fan, so I'm not the person to ask about him. But uh, you're getting easily, you know, C.J. Anderson, Hilton are, are awesome, but you're getting Antonio Brown, who let's face it, is one of the top five players in the league. Uh, and Alan Alan Satterley went as to go to far as far as to say that he thinks he could potentially break uh, Marvin Harrison's 143 reception record this year. So, if you're in a PPR league, that would be uh, in full blown insanity, I think. So, I, I, I agree there. I think I got to give give Jay the edge, um, but maybe you know maybe not this year. Maybe that just works out to be a, a hell of a deal the next couple of years. Maybe that helps the team that got these two guys. That got T and CJ this year. Maybe that helps them get in the playoffs. So that's uh oh that, yeah. I saw that one. I saw that trade come across in the email too. Like like Bill said, and I said, "Oh, we're talking about that for sure on the podcast." That that's uh, <laughs> and the other trade was uh, the other the other one that was involved in that trade 
is Rich Broncos. Um, he, Broncos won. Rich is a longtime dynasty player, a really savvy player, and probably one of the best commissioners that I've ever been in a league with. Um, so he's really a savvy Bronco fan too. So that I think was a really that was a big boy trade right there. That was this, that's moving some serious talent. Yeah, uh, not messing around there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, it is dynasty dilemma time, and uh, Bill has going to stick around and be our judge. Um, let's see where we're I'm sorry, trying to feed the music clip. Let's just do this short clip. <laughs> Okay, we are pitting Deshaun Jackson, who can't shut his mouth lately, versus uh, Pierre Garçon. Nick, I forgot whose turn it is to go first. I think it's your turn. Uh, you chose Deshaun Yep, I picked so I'll go first. Uh, okay, to okay. me, this might be the most lopsided dilemma we've done yet. I do admit that Garçon is likely undervalued right now, as he should have a better year in 2015 than last year's 68 catches for 750 yards and three scores. He did prove in 2013 when he led the league with 113 catches that he's capable of producing. And in TPR leagues, the gap between the two is smaller, as Garçon actually had 12 more catches than Jackson last year. But that's to be expected, as Deshaun isn't by any means a possession receiver who goes over the middle a lot. Deshaun's game is the deep ball, and I don't think there's another receiver in the game that combines the vision, speed, and acceleration to track deep passes the way Jackson does. 12 less receptions than Garcon, but Jackson averaged nearly 10 more yards per catch, 20.9. Even by his standards, that's a lot. That's his highest average yards per catch since 2010. Now, I, I didn't research this next statement, but as a Skins fan watching them play last year, they were truly awful, but Jackson was definitely a bright spot, and it felt without him they'd have probably gone 0-16. I shudder to think of what that offense would have looked like if the team, the team's original plan to have Garcon and Andre Roberts as the one-two punch had been a reality. You know, as DFW's Alan Satterley pointed out in his uh, Speed Bump Number Eight article, uh, Deshaun Jackson's 21 yards uh, or 21 receptions over 40 yards over the past two seasons leads the NFL by nine. So you're basically asking me to choose between the league's top deep threat in Deshaun Jackson and a pretty good possession receiver in Garcon, who's also a year older than Deshaun Jackson. I got to go with the playmaker, Deshaun. Um, they're not. He's not quite a year older. I think there's a couple months difference there. Um, but as far as lopsided dilemmas, it seemed like a good idea at the time. But as the people voted on it, I, I realized it probably wasn't the best dilemma that we've ever done. And that's when you did Jordan Matthews and I did Victor Cruz. That, And there was some weird problem with the website where we couldn't update the poll. And that sat on there for like an extra three or four days. And the votes were very, very embarrassing for Victor Cruz. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. But anyway, Garcon versus Deshaun. Um, what does the name Deshaun stand for in the MLS? Dictionary. How about weekly boom or bust? Uh, best served for best ball, and I can say that because I own him in a best ball. Um, Garson means servant slash PPR ticker. Um, I just i i know I know I'm up against the wall here, and I'll get to that more. But I, I just feel like we all know uh, best ball to be an easier format, and that's and that's where a player like DJX really thrives. Um, but seriously, who would you rather have? Uh, Garcon is a plug-and-play every week. I know there's some risks there, especially with their offense, but I feel like I can at least 
you know, before Sunday have the confidence in using him every week. Deshaun, there's always that, oh, who, you know, who are their DBs? Who's their nickelback? You know, is Landon Collins going to lay him out with a shoulder? Um, uh, I just think Pervon, uh, excuse me, Garcon provides a sturdier target. I, I'm usually, there's, okay, usually when I'm, when Nick is defending his person in the dilemma is when I realize that I'm up against the wall here. Uh, but this week it was Monday during my lunch break when I started writing this. I realized that Garcon has had 1,000 yards receiving, 1,000 yard receiving season and only one season over 70 receptions uh, during his seven seasons uh, with Indian Washington combined. Djax, on the other hand, has 4,000-yard seasons in seven years and two more seasons over 900. I know I'm not doing myself any favors by quoting these stats, but I thought Nick would maybe go there a little bit. Um, in fact, it might, we might, he might even be um, a better receiver for RG3 style of play. But ultimately, those mighty speedsters always hit a wall. So I'm investing in a – so if I'm investing in a soon-to-be 29-year-old receiver, Garcon turns 29, um, I think next week, uh, next Tuesday, and uh, DJX does in December, um, I'm, I'm going to go Garcon, a player who's had to fight for recognition on the depth chart his whole career. Uh, Garcon is an outside weapon. I think he's, he takes on DBs with aggression while Jackson thrives on speed in gimmick plays, albeit he has been very successful throughout his career, but he does thrive on kind of the mismatched creation type of thing. And that's why, and, that, and that's why uh, DJX will, ha- will have those weeks where he just absolutely disappears, where I feel like Garcon, though he wasn't very consistent last year, I think moving forward as they get older, I think feel like he could be uh, the better week-to-week play. So Nick has a chance to rebut, and then we'll have Bill uh, – slam the gavel down. So what do you got, Nick? Well, you do have a big, uh, good point there as far as, uh, as far as Garcon being a safer week to week play. Uh, uh, Jackson has been boomer bust throughout his career, but I mean, you look at the quarterbacks Deshaun Jackson's played with over the last few years, you know, uh, Donovan McNabb towards the end of his career, Michael Vick, uh, Robert Griffin, Colt McCoy. None of these guys are great quarterbacks, but Deshaun Jackson's continued to produce no matter who's been under center. So I think you gotta you gotta tip your hat to him for that. Uh, and that that's a very good point, considering Garcon actually played a little bit with Peyton Manning and, and didn't uh, have a thousand yard season. Maybe though he was on the buried on the depth chart. I'm not doing a really good job <laughs> defending myself here. Uh, but uh, like I said, as they get older, uh, Bill, what do you got? What do you think? Well, I think you guys basically covered every single aspect on both players very thoroughly. Um, I think you both make really good points. It depends really on the format. Who's going to be better for Dynasty? There's a chance that Garcon could move on next year um, and maybe find a home where he can actually see significant targets and be featured a little more. Um, But honestly, I'm the biggest hater of Deshaun Jackson in the entire world, but if you can get him as your number three or flex uh, wide receiver, I think he offers you, uh, you know, a chance to have huge weeks. So if I'm going to look at these receivers, I would have neither of them as my one or two. They'd be three, four, or five on my team. And if they were starting, you'd figure he'd either be a flex or a number three. And with your number three or with my number three, I'm always looking for players that can have upside. Um, and if you're looking, if you had both players and you were looking at your weekly matchup, if you needed safety and security and 
you know, points, a guaranteed number of points, you know, 5 to 10 to 15 points. Garcon would probably be my call, especially since Gruden, you know, acknowledged the fact that he underused him last year, and he absolutely plans to get him the ball more often this year, which is just coach speak, but I believe it to some extent. Um, and then you've got the, the play to win, which is Deshaun Jackson. You know, he could any week have a couple of huge plays and really blow up. So if I'm going to go, you guys both made great points, but i got to go with the person I just like the most, and that's Deshaun Jackson. Okay. Uh, good work there, Nick, as always. Um, I usually am a week ahead of, of myself on Dynasty Dilemmas, but I don't have another one to tease for you the next week, so I'm going to have to think long and hard about that. Uh, well, uh, Bill, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, hopefully we can have you come back, um, and especially during the season, to get some insight on some week-to-week stuff. So I, I, we obviously appreciate you, and it's again, it's Bill Servey, content director and owner here at uh, uh, DFW. Thanks for stopping by, Bill. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure, and anytime you need me, just give me a call. Thanks again. All right. Uh, well, obviously a lot of fun. Bill is a person that I, opinion I totally respect, and I'm very happy that we could have him on on the podcast here today to to uh, shed some wisdom for you as well, because he's he's certainly one of my uh, as a, as a fantasy expert myself, if you want to call me that. He's certainly one of the people that I uh, I ask a lot of questions to about a whole lot of things. So he's certainly a, certainly a good friend to have a good person to be able to text, we'll put it that way. Um, and that's hardly saying the very least. But anyway, yes, very, very glad to have Bill stop by. So, Nick, the August rankings are out. What stood out to you? Well, uh, start out with some running backs. Amir Abdullah is up seven to number 24, and Joyke Bell uh, down four to number 33. I think that trend is going to continue uh, I think Abdul is going to be the the starter there sooner rather than later in Detroit. Uh, Both Terrence West and Isaiah Crowell went down for uh, now that West is injured. And also the rookie uh, there is uh, Duke Johnson, I believe, is a little banged up. So I think Crowell will start to rise up that. Uh, Joseph Randall went up 20 slots to number 43. Obviously, uh, Taron McFadden's already in, uh, a little bang, banged up, like you mentioned. So, Randall probably will continue to rise. Uh, Matt Jones is up to uh, up 33 slots to number 48 in dynasty formats. Obviously, I think a lot of that has to do with Alfred Morris owners wanting the handcuff there in case Morris locks uh, next year. And one more guy who rose up a little bit, Roy Hulu, is up seven slots to number 67 there in Oakland. Oh yes, remember a few months back when everybody was saying, "Oh, Trent Richardson looks so fast; he's lost a few pounds." Uh, now it's like fifty-fifty to win the t- make the team. So uh, obviously, there's some great value with Alou there. Just definitely a nice, uh, nice PPR guy to to have as your fourth or fifth running back. Um, a few things that stood out to me. Um, I, I. DJ, I feel like with the rookies, I feel like DJB should be maybe higher than the than uh, the seventh rookie off the board. I I'm maybe putting him in like the three or four range right now. Um, I also totally disagree with Jeremy Langford being uh, above Josh Robinson and uh, Carlos Williams on our rookie rankings. I I feel like both those guys are gonna have a have a role this year. And it might not be a huge role, but I think it's going to be a much bigger role than Jeremy Langford has. Um, sticking with the rookies here, Bernardrick McKinney as the number five linebacker in front of Denzel Perryman. I just, I just can't get behind. I still feel like 
you know, Cushing is old and injury prone there. I still feel like he's going to, he's going to see, see more time this year if he stays healthy. And I'm just not sold on McKinney as a pro McKinney as a, as a prospect. I'm not huge on him. I know some people are really behind him and I love the fact that he's in that scheme and that certainly helps him. I just, I just disagree. Um, moving on to some veterans. I, these, I know these are dynasty rankings, but Teddy Bridgewater above Peyton Manning just, didn't uh, didn't settle my stomach very well. We'll put it at that. I I don't really have a whole lot else to say about that. Act. It's like, uh, ugh, it's, it's so. I, and I know it's coming, and I know it's maybe be maybe not the only place to have that. Uh, but I just I just couldn't uh, get behind it. Um, Jamal Charles, I feel like should be number three above uh, Shady and Demarco. I just I I, I know Shady McCoy is going to get. 500 carries this year, but I, I, and, and DeMarc, but DeMarco's got, you know, some other, other running backs in camp there. And I just don't see Shady holding up. I know he's never had a major injury, but I, I, there's just some more talent on that team that I, I feel like they're going to have to use because he's going to see a lot of eight in the boxes if he's getting 20 to 25 carries every day. Uh, Todd Gurley above Jeremy Hill. I, I know I'm telling people to be cautious with Jeremy Hill, but like Bill said earlier, and again, I trust his opinion wholeheartedly, is he's a dynasty gem right now. And obviously Gurley is too, but uh, maybe that maybe that should be our dilemma next week, Nick. And it's my chance to go first. Uh, so uh, <laughs> you're going to have to defend Todd Gurley. Um, and I know you're not a fan, so good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I would have. I would also have Alshon Jeffrey above Odell Beckham and Mike Evans. I maybe some people think that's criminal, but uh, and especially since Jay Cutler is his quarterback. But you've seen the girls from Alshon the last couple of years, and I, I mean I've seen him going in some mocks and you know started as a third round. I just think that's criminal. I think he's such a great value. Uh, Michael Floyd, obviously, and Allen Robinson. Too high at 22 and 23 above uh, Emmanuel Sanders, Martavius Bryant, and Keenan Allen. Again, these are just my opinions. You know, I could be wrong. And, you know, Bill does make a good point about us forgetting about guys that burned us. He's maybe telling us to grow up a little bit there. But, you know, maybe I need to hear that. <laughs> so, um, and then Julian Edelman, wide receiver number 50. Julian Edelman, really? I feel like he's, the, you know, uh going, you know, like as like the 19th, 20th receiver off the board. I thought that was pretty crazy that he was down there. I know he's got the concussion now on his resume, but I, I was just a little, uh, little flummoxed by that. So, um, yeah, that's really all we had for you for the rankings. Uh, each and every week we do a little thing that we like to call Nick rants. It's where I give my co-host the floor to, uh, rant about something that's uh, bothering him or on his mind or something. In the, in the NFL news. So, Nick, what do you got for us? Well, we all know that 90% of what we hear from teams this time of year is fluff. You know, so-and-so is 100% back from his injury, or we expect some player to take a leap forward in year two, that sort of thing. But one headline this past week caught my attention where Jimmy Graham basically said he'd be blocking 75% of the time in the Seattle offense. Um, if that's the case, why pay him $9 million to do that? 
Remember, the Seahawks now have $100 million against the cap invested in only 10 players, leaving under $50 million for the remaining 43 players, plus additional signings with an injury strike. But they're going to spend $9 million on a blocking tight end who doesn't have a history of blocking? Likely this is a smokescreen, but if their plan was to use Jimmy as a blocker, it wouldn't be the first time an NFL team paid a lot of money to try to jam a square pig into a round hole, so to speak. You know, as a skin fan, the first that comes to mind for me is paying Albert Haynesworth $100 million to occupy both blockers after he had such success in Tennessee as a penetrating defensive tackle. Haynesworth isn't and wasn't good as a space leader. Jimmy isn't a blocker. If you needed a run stop or a strong safety, you wouldn't sign Deion Sanders. You know, again, this is probably just blocked. <laughs> Usually it seems to put their players in a position to succeed. But as a Jimmy Graham owner, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little worried about these comments. And if they are true and Graham will be blocking the majority of the time, I could see that leading to more injuries as he doesn't have proper technique since he wasn't asked to do it much during his time in New Orleans, plus the added risk of getting his ankle rolled up on by the pile. I mean, come on, please, Pete Carroll, don't waste Jimmy's talents. Let your blockers block and, you know, maybe use Jimmy as a decoy on the opposite side of the field that the run is going to. Don't use him as the lead blocker, though. What do you think, Josh? Uh... I think we're going to see Jimmy return punts before we see him block 75% of time. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I'm still laughing about the Deion Sanders comment. That was good. Um, yeah, that, they know what he is. And that's, I mean, and like in, like any defensive coordinator in their division, like, oh, okay, well, we don't have to worry about Jimmy Graham now. <laughs> you know, come on. I mean, that's not going to happen. That's we We know. We know what Jimmy Graham is, and we know they're going to use him. He's going to be – utilized in this offense very well. I feel like he's going to open things up for this offense, and he's not going to be opening up holes for Marshawn Lynch. Sweet. Come on. Smoke screen, indeed. Um, uh, we, let's get to some questions from the forum here. Nick, um, Jordan Matthews trade advice. Guy wants Jordan Matthews. I'm pretty well at tight end, but hurting at wide receiver. He wants to give me Carlos Hyde. Fair trade or hold on to Matthews? Now, I guess I would like to know, you know, the rest of his team for this one. Um, but I I feel like Hyde is maybe a decent value. But like I said earlier, Hyde, if Hyde is the right, either running back one there in San Francisco, it's likely, you know, for the next three years. It's not going to be a, a decade like Frank Gore. They're just, that's just a special case. Jordan Matthews, on the other hand, you're looking at five to possibly eight solid years of production from him. So you really got to weigh the risks there. But if you're really hurting that running back, I feel like it's a fair trade as far as where I'm seeing these guys go EDP-wise in startups. What do you think there, Nick? Yeah, they're very different players, but uh, I think it's, uh, it's extremely similar value. You know, you, Jordan Matthews has a pretty high floor. You know he's going to be a productive receiver there in Philly. Whereas Carlos Hyde, you don't even know for sure that he's going to be the starter, but he likely will be. And if he's a three-down back there, he could, he'll could probably end up a top-ten running back. It's it's harder to come across uh, solid running backs like that, so I, I think it's worth the risk moving Matthews for him. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Okay, moving forward, stud wide receiver for stud wide receiver plus Shane Vereen. Um, I have been offered Demarius Thomas and Vereen for Odell Beckham. This is a non-PPR league. We start three wide receivers and two running backs. Owner also has uh, Randall Cobb and A.J. Green. He values uh, – 
who he values less than Demarius Thomas. Um, I need a little RB love, so as I'm quite thin, and I have, uh, I believe this is Rashard James as his number two. I'm sorry about that. Uh, so Vereen would certainly make sense for him there. Uh, his current starting wide receivers are Dez, Julio, and Odell Beckham Jr. Now, looking at this, if you have five, two teams in this league, you have A.J. Green and Randall Cobb, Des Bryant and Julio Jones and Odell Beckham. That's I want to know the league size too. I mean, this has got to be a ten-team league. Um, but uh, if Rashard Jennings is your number two, and you're getting Shane Vereen and Demarius Thomas, um, and I believe it is a dynasty. I just it's hard to give up Odell Beckham Jr., but it is non-PPR, and I feel like you're you're certainly hedging your bets by getting Vereen here at least for the next couple of years. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I'm really high on Shane Vereen myself. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he wound up starting at some point this year for the Giants. So it'd be tough for me to trade Odell Beckham, but for that kind of value, I think I'd go ahead and pull the trigger, especially as weak as he is at running back already. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gronk? This keeps popping up, but we're going to talk about it again anyway. Uh, see, seems light to me, but... I- I'm not, and I'm not trying to repeat history, but he offered me Evans and a first for Elshon Jeffrey last year, um, like week six-ish. Now we did talk about this last week. Yeah, we talked about that one last week. I'm sorry. Um, so Uh, we have a speed bump to get to, and if you don't know about our speed bumps, uh, you need to go to dfw.com and click on the speed bump tab. It is a totally free thing to be involved in, and you're just voting on uh, player production for this year, essentially. Um, Alan Satterley comes up with these. They have some great graphics as well, so make sure you check that out and give Carl Zabel all the credit for that. But Alan, he's going to give you a little background on all these players and whatnot. So make sure you check these out. And if you, if you win the contest, you're going to get a little money in your pocket and it's free to play. So why not? Uh, but we three made, this is almost dynasty dilemma, I guess, if you will, but three major wide receivers on the chopping block here. We have Odell Beckham Jr. versus Julio Demarius Thomas. And again, this is just production for this season. What do you think there, Nick? Well, this is such a great series that Allen's doing with these speed bumps, and this is one of the closest speed bumps that he's done, in my opinion. But I'll take Odell Beckham Jr. He's younger, only 22 years old, whereas Jones is 26 and Thomas is 27. I know it's not as big of a deal in redraft, but that is still less wear and tear on the body. And that 108 yards per game that he put up last year, that is just insane, especially for a rookie. Um, you know, Julio Jones is a close second. Really, it's a coin flip between these two for me. Um, but his injury history scares me just a little bit. You know, he only played five games in 2013. And Demarius Thomas is third to me just because of the uh, drop in production we saw from Peyton Manning last, late last year. I, I would hate to be trusting in one of those Broncos uh, in the playoffs in the fantasy league and have that same thing happening again this year. So I, I will, I'll take Odell back on one of those two. That's who I selected too, and I wasn't quite like sure about it. But you do bring up some great points with the with the Denver offense, and maybe being a little more committed to the run, like Bill said earlier as well. And Julio does have you know some injuries and lower leg injuries, wide receivers. It's never good. Um, and you know it's maybe not 
very pretty easy to look at uh, um, just, you know, the rest of the weapons around these guys where I feel like, you know, Odell Beckham is certainly the number one option in this offense. And obviously Julio is two, but they, they have Roddy. They have a nice running back duel that we expect a lot from this year. Obviously, C.J. Anderson is looking like to be the man. But Demarius also has Manny Sanders on the side of him. So, I mean, that, there's, certainly a, there's certainly a lot to look at there. But, yeah, I went Odell Beckham Jr. too. And these speed bumps, you don't have to sit there and break it down like we do. You just really need to, you know, make a, make a split decision. And your, your first instinct might actually be right. So I, I feel like they're just fun if you need to, you know. And they're a fun thing to, to just maybe look at because, obviously, he – tries to pick similar players and their ADPs are going to be similar. So it's just another way for you to get ready for uh, your draft if you have any left coming up there. So make sure you check out uh, Alan's speed bump poll there. That's just a great time. Uh, that's all we have for you. Like I said, next week we're going to be joined by former NFL wide receiver J.J. Burden. Very excited for that. Uh, big thanks to uh, the master of ceremonies here, Mr. Uh, Bill Servi. Uh, content director and owner here at DFW for uh, for helping us out. A lot of fun, a lot of great knowledge from Bill. So if you missed any of Bill being on the podcast, you need to go back and listen because, uh, you know, we don't just bring any guests on this podcast. We bring in awesome talent, and it's so nice when we can bring one of our own guys to help you shed light on, you know, where we're coming from with our rankings and, and, and just to, just somebody with the level of experience that Bill brings and Alan and Dan like we had last week. So big thanks to Bill. Uh, looking forward to JJ next week. Um, thank you for listening. Nick, do you have any closing thoughts there? Uh, just that I think I'm going to have to pass on getting into any of the uh, $1,700 buy-in leagues that Bill's in. <laughs> a little steep for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe we can have somebody sponsor us. So if anybody out there listening has a lot of money and would love to split $300,000 with me and Nick, <laughs> um, and by no means are we making fun of Bill. I mean, that's awesome. Uh, but it, we were looking for sponsors. So um, do one more thing that I want to point out. Uh, we Dan was on last week pipping our, um, our charity contest, and – if anybody out there listening, we're getting some really good listening numbers over the last month or so. So I know you people are out there listening, and I know this is the end of the podcast, but if you want to get into that league, please do so. I have a great charity to play for. good friend of mine by the name of Dakota Case, who is the hockey editor over at rotorob.com, has been in the hospital for about two or three months now with a, with the heart condition that he was born with. Uh, basically almost lost his life about eight weeks ago. Uh, but he, he, you know, he's been in the hospital for, for a long time. He's awaiting a heart transplant. Obviously, his family has been there around him. You know, there's so many expenses that they have come in their way. So if you can help out just by giving $25 in a draft, or just essentially a draft master with me and, you know, want to compete with me, want to put me down, want to want to have me finish last, whatever you want to do, all it's going to cost you is $25. Make sure you email uh, Dan at djhind at gmail.com and tell him that you want to be in a division with me, and we'll make it happen. You're just playing 25 bucks, and it's going to go to somebody who truly needs it. Obviously, it's not you know a huge burden off their back. Obviously, they're going to have massive medical bills and, and, and lodging costs. But any little bit would help them out. So make sure you make sure you do that. And if you have a charity and you want to start your own division, 
you were more than happy to do that. We will take care of everything. Like I said, it's just going to cost you 25 bucks. You draft your team via email. You don't have to sit by your computer for two hours and do it some night. You draft your team via email. Very simple to do. So help me help Dakota Case and his family out. And it's only going to cost you 25 bucks. So let's do it. I want to I wanna compete against the listeners from the podcast. And so I am ready to rock. I am ready to take you all on and may the best team win. So just 25 bucks. So make sure you do that, please. This has been the Dynasty Pulse. I am Joshua Johnson. Thank, he is Nick Wagner. Uh, I remember a few weeks ago or a few months ago when I said I was Nick Wagner. That was pretty funny. I was thinking about that the other day. Uh, but uh, that's all we have for you today. Uh, talk to you next week as we talk with uh, former NFL wide receiver Jay Dipper. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Bowl Podcast with Big